Tuesday, January the 25th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone had a nice weekend as we get into a, a really, really busy week for uh, yours truly here. So many of the things that we cover here on That's What G Said are all going to be happening this week. So, coming up, we've got the NFL Conference Championship Games on Sunday. We'll talk a little bit about the teams that are in the Final Four, but like always, later in the week, we're going to have our deep dives with Eric. I'll probably have one other guest on to talk NFL also. We'll get into those four games. Cannot wait to sink our teeth into those conference championships after a really great divisional round. And then later on in the week, it is the Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream Park. There's a great card there. We're going to have at least one guest later on in the week to help us discuss that. It is the biggest day of the meet at Sam Houston on Sunday with the Houston Racing Festival and the Ladies Classic. There are a couple graded stakes races, six stakes races, 11 on the card. So Martha Clausen is going to join me today. She's going to give us a little preview, set up the week, and then we'll have Jessica Paquette joining me later in the week to help handicap that card. We're also going to have the Royal Rumble coming up later on in the week on Saturday. So we'll have a massive Royal Rumble preview. I think I'm going to have Andrew, Darren, and Chad all together to preview this year's Royal Rumble. And so that'll be on Saturday. Uh, Wow, so much happening. Really excited for all of that uh, over the next week or so. So let's talk exactly about what's going to happen on this particular episode. I'll talk a little bit about the NFL, just a few minutes about what happened last weekend. Then we'll get into our conversation with Martha Clausen. She's going to let us know everything that's happening this week. We'll talk about the big day coming up and in particular the big race and some of the horses that are going to be running in the ladies classic there on Wednesday. We'll talk some Penn National and some Tampa. We'll give you some plays for each of those tracks. They always have some stable dual contests there. Then we'll get into Thursday full card for Sam Houston. I did not get a chance to connect with Matt Velasco this week for the Book of Boba Fett recap. But what I am going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened in Episode 4 of Book of Boba Fett. And then Matt's going to join me again next week and we're going to double up. We'll give him a chance to share some of his thoughts on this episode and then we'll get into Episode 5. But if you do want some Boba Fett thoughts, stay tuned. I will share some with you and I will get into the episode a little bit. We'll close this out with an old wrestling rewatch. It's Royal Rumble season, so we got to talk Royal Rumble 2020 with Darren Zocali. A lot of fun when Brock Lesnar started off that rumble and was taking them on one at a time. So loaded some football. Martha Clausen joins. We'll talk some Wednesday and Thursday racing, some book of Boba Fett and some Royal rumble 2020 on this episode of that's what G said. That is presented by better than dot Vegas this week. Huge Royal rumble preview show coming up on Saturday at six o'clock PM. Eastern time, Kurt angle, summer Ray, both on the show. The Rumble preview. I'm going to be hosting that thing. Uh, cannot wait. Going to be a lot of fun to touch base with them as a lifetime wrestling fan. Getting able to being able to talk with some of the uh, the pros. Really, really cool. So that'll be a blast. Make sure to tune in to that at BTV Bets on Twitter, or if you follow me, it's me Gino B. And then you know we'll we'll be. On Better Than Vegas previewing the football games like always with 4th and Inches on Sunday. We have our college basketball show now every Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, Cutting Nets. All the content free. If you go to the website, you can play in the weekly showdown. You can start to post your wagers 
every day, every week, and see how you stack up with everyone else. Doesn't cost you a cent to do so. Better than dot Vegas. And everyone's buzzing about this past weekend in the NFL. Four games, three of them decided by game-winning field goals. The other was in overtime. And everyone's talking about the overtime rules, right? That's that's the big discussion. So let's sort of start with that. Bills, Chiefs, game ends in a tie. They go to overtime. Kansas City wins the coin toss. They get the ball. They drive right down, score a touchdown, game ends. So I think what people are kind of having a problem with with this conversation is you have to separate two things, right? When a game is tied, both teams tied. Neither team won the game. Both teams had equal opportunity in the allotted time with all the same rules to win, and neither team did. We we all sort of act like the team that was up late and relinquished the lead that, oh, well, they don't really deserve to win because they were up late, and they let the other team come down really quickly and, you know, go uh, 50 yards in 13 seconds and all... And we can debate why teams lose games, right? Why the Bills were even forced to go to overtime was because they couldn't stop Mahomes late. But that doesn't have anything to do with if the overtime rules are good or bad. Those are separate. Because it doesn't make any sense for an overtime to only let one team get the ball on offense. That's not what would happen in a regular football game. Once overtime starts, everything else that's happened before the game... In, is irrelevant because there are 50 different things that happen during a game that would cause teams to be tied. This team does a few things that they maybe shouldn't have done. The same can be said for the other team. Everyone's getting so caught up in the fact that at the very end, the Bills let the Chiefs go, you know, get into field goal range and kick a field goal. But two times in the last two minutes, the Chiefs let the Bills go all the way down, score a touchdown, and take the lead. So it that's that's the problem. You have to separate those two things, right? You can say, well, we think the Bills would have lost no matter what. And and that's maybe that would have been true. I just think the only fair way to end a game in overtime is to see if both teams in the playoffs can play on offense and on defense and then what happens. Because if you look at the overtime statistics for how things have happened during the regular season, it's not all that the teams that win the coin toss don't win all that much more than teams that don't. In the playoffs, though, when the team's offenses are the best, even against the best defenses, teams that win the coin toss are 10-1. and one. The only one that lost was the game in 2018 with the Rams and the, the Saints when the Rams shouldn't even have won that one. And we, you know, we've seen seven times where the team that wins the coin toss gets the ball and goes straight down and the other team doesn't even get to touch the ball. I, you know, that doesn't seem right. Because in a football game, both teams are always going to touch the ball. Both teams are going to get equal opportunity on offense and on defense. P- everyone's rebuttal seems to be, well, your defense should have made a stop. They let Kansas City go all the way down the field in overtime so they didn't deserve to win. But that's not what would happen in a game. In any overtime in any sport, right? Think about it. In basketball, it's just a normal overtime. In soccer, you know, sometimes you'll go to normal overtimes, then you'll go to shootouts. But if it's a shootout, that would be like saying, okay, the first team gets to shoot, 
if they make it, the game's over. The other team doesn't even get to rebut. That's not how it works. Well, yeah, your goalie got to stop them. They didn't stop them, so, you know, doesn't matter. Well, your goalie didn't even get get put to the test. How does that make sense? See, that's that's where the conversation is. I don't I don't really understand anyone who's like, oh yeah, the rules the rules don't need to be changed. Of course they do. Because in any game, the reason why two teams are in overtime are kind of irrelevant once they get there. Because now we're we're becoming the judge and jury, right? Well, oh yeah, that they deserve to win anyways, so they get the ball and that's fine. I'm not a Bills fan or a Kansas City fan. I'm not saying this this like I'm I think you I, I root for the Rams. I think everybody can kind of tell though for me like the I don't root for the Rams nearly the way I root for the Lakers, the Dodgers or USC. It just for me I I hadn't been a fan of an NFL team for the majority of my life because the Rams left so early and then when they came back I had never rooted for a pro team. I was such a big USC fan. I said, "Oh, sure, I'll, I'll start rooting for the Rams." So of course I I root for them. I want them to win, but it's not to me like the to where it, when they lose, I get so emotionally upset like I do with the Lakers and the Dodgers and probably a lot of you crazy fans do out there when your football teams lose. Um, So, yeah, I've seen this debate from a lot of people out there. And, and any of you who want to say, well, the reason why the Bills didn't win this game is because what they did at the very end of the game, I agree with you. That is why they didn't win. But that's why they tied. They didn't lose the game because of that. They didn't win the game because of that. That game, they was actually tied. And then what happened was they flipped a coin. They lost the coin flip. And it was Kansas City's offense against the Bills' defense. Kansas City's offense went down and scored. We all know Kansas City has one of the best offenses. We all know that the Bills have one of the best offenses. We just saw those teams go up and down the field on teams that we thought had Defenses that were playing really well. The Bills were the were ranked number one defense by a lot of metrics. I think you see this in basketball a lot of the time. You can play great defense on someone, but if they hit a shot over you, what are you going to do? You can be right in their face. You can play the best defense ever against guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen. Those are the best of the best. That's why they're here. That's why that number is is 10-1. and one in the playoffs for teams that win the coin toss because it's usually a really good defense. They're playing against a really good offense. The offense just can do a little bit more of what they want. You have to react. The defense is usually tired. So, fantastic game. Kind of stinks that we have to talk about the overtime stuff because it was a really great game. It doesn't take anything away from that. It just sort of leaves a sour taste in your mouth because who who wouldn't have wanted to see the Bills get another opportunity to go? It wasn't Josh Allen's fault what happened late. Why should he get penalized and their offense get penalized that Kansas City tied the game? Wasn't as if Kansas City went down and scored a touchdown. So we got the Bengals moving along. That was nice. You heard me here uh, mention the Bengals at a uh, eighteen to one to win the Super Bowl, eight to one to win the AFC. We're now here, and the Bengals are a seven point underdog. But hey, they're gonna be playing the Chiefs, and they beat the Chiefs recently. It's gonna be a very difficult spot for the Bengals. They it's not like they've been playing all that impressive, but they've won. They've done what they need. They allowed nine sacks. They still won. We'll get into the deep dive breakdown of that game coming up later this week, but you know who I'm rooting for? I'm rooting for the Bengals, and I don't really have any need to get involved in that game because I'm uh, I'm hoping the Bengals get the job done. On the other side, the Rams tried to lay an egg of 27-3, spit the game out. It's tied, and then they make a huge play. Stafford 
late to go on to win the game. And now they play a 49ers team that's beat them six times in a row. The Rams could win this game and then have the Super Bowl at home and not even have to travel for the next three weeks. And yeah, people will say that, is it the biggest home field advantage in the world? No, I agree with you. It's not, especially against the 49ers who have a, a huge fan base here. I don't think it's as disparaging for the Rams as much as it is people that are outside of California just might not, might not have understood the dynamic that you know the Rams left. A lot of people that are you know in California have rooted for different teams for years and years. They either came from other places or if they grew up here in California. When I was a kid in school, people's favorite football teams were the Raiders and the 49ers. Those teams were in California. They were popular and they were good. And the Rams were gone. And, and being in St. Louis, you might as well be at a different planet, you know, when you're at, at that point. So the Rams, it, the Chargers don't really have a whole ton of support here. The Rams do have a good amount of support, but against a few select teams, they're never going to get, it's going to be always hard for them to get more, more people showing up that are Rams fans than 49ers fans. They're trying really hard to make sure they don't sell the tickets out. I don't think it's going to be like a, I think it'll be like an even split or maybe like a 60 Rams, 40, 49ers, 40, 49ers. How about that? Who, God, they feel like a sort of team of destiny right now because they just keep playing really poorly and winning. They were down 17 against the Rams, needing to win that game to get in, came back and won. First week in the playoffs, Dallas did everything wrong, still was in the game, 49ers kept trying to give it away, but they win. Last week, they win a game without scoring an offensive touchdown. And sure, there are a lot of things that the other teams are doing wrong, but San Francisco keeps playing good defense. They keep putting themselves in spots where one or two mistakes from the other team gives them the opportunity to win. They're not playing that great, but they're playing better and making less mistakes than their opposition, and that's all that matters at this point. So, the NFL Final Four, we will get... Deep into those games later on this week here on That's What G Said. Right now, we are going to get into some horse racing. Oh, the big week is here, fans of Sam Houston. It is time for the big race, the biggest race of the meet, the biggest day of the meet, and the entries are out. We are very, very excited. We're going to talk about the Houston Ladies Classic, and we're going to talk all about this big, big, massive weekend that comes up. The Houston Racing Festival is going to take place on Sunday. We have four days of racing this week at Sam Houston, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then the special post time on Sunday, so we're going to talk all about the week, all about the meet, everything going on at Sam Houston leading up to the biggest day of the meet for them, and Martha Clausen joins us like she always does when we have some important Sam Houston stuff to talk about. Martha, so much fun now. We've had a, a day or two to kind of comb over the entries. I I can't, I can't believe uh, how it's continuing to grow each and every year. Well, I mean, we're, we're thrilled, and obviously, you know, the Houston Ladies Classic 
is our marquee race of the Houston Racing Festival. But boy, we were all blown away yesterday at the response to the Connolly uh, Turf Cup. I mean, it, we've always had good fields for it, Gino, but we we oh we drew like there were 16 and then they had to narrow it down. So it's 12 plus two also eligibles. So, you know, we're in for a very, very, very contentious uh, running of that. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll maybe start off with uh, with the ladies classic. But yeah, it's really, you know, people are paying attention to us. The purses are good. Um, last Handle opening was- day. It had the opening day 3.3 million, which was crazy good because normally <laughs> we don't open on a Thursday. We open on a weekend. That was crazy good. And then, um, you know, last year we set the all-time handle record, did over $5 million, um, 5.3, I think it was, for the for the festival. So we're super excited. Uh, everybody's been very responsive. I think we're going to have a fantastic day. Weather-wise, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. It rained today, which is okay. A little rain is okay, but it's supposed to be really good for the next five days. And then I haven't looked ahead. I get nervous looking ahead. So yeah. <laughs> either way, it'll be fine, you know. <laughs> so we, when I was just looking through, I was <clears throat> making a list. So you know, you know, on a big day like Sunday, where there are eleven races, six mm-hmm. stakes, two yep. graded stakes, post right. time at one forty-five central because it's that big special day. Yep. Um, so you know, we're always going to get the top local barns to have some horses. So Asmussen, Broberg, Pish, Caldwell, and mm-hmm. then some. Some barns that'll, you know, have a few horses here and there that start throughout the meet, maybe Amos and Stidham. When you look at the other barns who are sending horses in for one of these stakes races, Mike Maker, Brad Cox, Todd Pletcher, Pesson, Chris Block, Keith Sormo, uh, Camarari, uh, Baker, Ortiz, Lauer, Thomas Van Berg, Correas, Joe Sharp, DeVito, Manley. Those are all barns that haven't even started a horse at the meet and they're bringing in just for the big weekend. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's always a lot of fun to see those guys. And, you know, Todd Pletcher is kind of funny because he did win uh, the Ladies Classic a few years ago with uh, it was uh, for Unbridled Mo. And mm-hmm. we were always desperate to get him. And he didn't come in. One of his assistants did. But I remember talking to him afterwards. And I said, Todd, you know, you're like oh, your perfect uh, record at Sam Houston. You're one for one. He goes, do I have to stop now? And I said, heck no, you know. So he's super nice. It was really fun to talk to the, uh, the you know, the name trainers. And of course, some of them, Michael Stidham is a perfect example. Let me tell you, he was huge at Sam Houston for a long time because he trained for Bob McNair. And uh, before he passed away. And he had a big Texas operation, uh, Stoner Side Stable, obviously up in Kentucky, but also in Texas. So we saw a lot of Michael Stidham. Oh, my gosh, what a great trainer. What a class guy. We're super excited. You know, last year, Joe Sharp came in. He won with Fast Boat. I mean, and, um, you know, it's interesting, too. I had a nice conversation today with uh, John Alexander Ortiz, who's bringing in um, a horse for the uh, for the ladies classic. And, um, you know, just interesting whole idea about that. He was here last year with Hollis. And I don't know if you remember that, but we had our stoner side. It's just a six furlong sprint. But he Hollis, who's turned into a sensational sprinter, dead heated with a horse from uh, J.R. Caldwell's. Uh, barn. I mean, it was so crazy and to have a dead heat on a stakes day. So I reminded of him of that when we talked on the phone and he laughed about it. He said it was crazy. And I said, people loved it. It was fantastic. You know? It wasn't a big day like that to hear the the crowd was uh, really into it. It was a, yeah. a ton of fun. Yeah. And then that, those are just the, the, the trainers we we're going through. How about the jockeys? You know, <laughs> yeah. someone who was 
so successful last year and has become um, really, really popular. Ray Lou Gutierrez, oh, he's going to be back. Right. Joel Rosario, Corey Lannery, Tyler Gaffleone, Jareth Loveberry, Marcelino Pedroza Jr., James Graham, Giovanni Franco, uh, Beschica, E.T. Baird, all listed on horses on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that's that's always fun, too. And hopefully at, at 11 o'clock, I didn't put it in my notes yet, but we're working on it, but from 11 to 12, depending on when some of those guys can get there, because a lot of them are coming directly from Gulfstream and the Pegasus, we're hoping to do a autograph session uh, to benefit the Permanently Disabled Jockey Fund. Uh, so hopefully they'll get here on time. I did talk to uh, 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 Jose Santos. Oh, God, he's such Santos, such a good, good guy and agent to like a million of these guys. But he said Ray is on a... Um, 6.30 flight out of Florida, so should get there in plenty of time, should be there by 10.30 or 11. So, yeah, no, we're looking forward to seeing the riders, we're looking forward to seeing the name trainers, some of the owners are, you know, just exciting to get some of the big name owners that come in as well. It's always my privilege when I'm doing post-race interviews to try and grab some owners, because really and truly, you know, this is something a lot of people forget. If you don't have the owners and the breeders, you don't have our sport. You know, they're the ones that take the big risk and put in huge amount of of investment don't always get the best return on their investment but you know without them what can we do it's always a pleasure i remember uh who was it that i met one time that just blew my mind it was barrington jones barrington jones was in town and um of course jack cody who's our photographer he knows him very well from kentucky and i said jack is that the barrington jones and he said yes and then i did an interview with him and he was so nice i mean it was just crazy and of course you know i always get a little sentimental this time of year when i think about bob mcnair because i got to do several interviews with him and he's such a phenomenal man he'd probably be turning over in his grave if he saw what son is doing with the Texans, but you know me, you know, I always digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, so that we could go on for hours and hours and hours, you and I going back and forth. Um, but it's, it's just so much fun and so much excitement. And just to see, um, everybody now on, we were to online, I think, you know, Sam Sherman and some of the, the folks who, you know, I've been paying attention, following mm-hmm. and playing the races for a while. They've commented on how different and how, how cool it is to see, more people talking about on social media. Everybody excited about playing Sam Houston. Opening day this year was really exciting. And I oh, think this yeah. week you can kind of feel that buzz already. People starting to talk about the races. What's going on? Press releases coming out. Information, articles, people asking. And there's going to be handicapping all over. It just, mm-hmm. um, you know, can't can't t- uh, say that enough. How What a great job Frank and uh, and everyone over there is doing. Well, and, and, you know, one of the things we're quote unquote competing against is the NHC, Trey Stiles, who I think you've had an opportunity to interview. He's one of our handicappers. He's a phenomenal guy and he's been to the, you know, NHC like a jillion times. So he's going to be there and he won't be with us this weekend, but we got plenty of good people pitching in. But, um, you know, I think we're going to get some attention from, from those guys too, because they'll stay in Vegas for Sunday and the ones that are out of the contest, hopefully will be playing our races. So should be a very good afternoon for our business we're excited about that so like always at sam houston you know you're going to get that really low takeout in Mm -hmm. all the multi-race exotic wagers and if you're someone who hasn't played a whole lot of sam houston before this is a great opportunity to take a look because there'll probably be some names from other tracks that you might be familiar with too and you can get the get an idea and you can just get a feel for how cool it is to play those really low takeout wagers like i said sunday 11 races Six of them are stakes. Those stakes races start, believe, in race five. And right. we have two graded stakes races. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning the, the Connolly a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. it might be a full field, maybe, right? 
Uh, it would <laughs> I think it'll be a little full, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. I was, a, I tell you what, I was a little nervous because, you know, Michael Maker has kind of owned the Connolly. I mean, he's had eight editions of it. And I mean, he had one horse, Bigger Picture, who won it three times. And so he always comes in locked and loaded for that. But the day before, he's got a zillion horses running. Well, I guess he'll draw tomorrow for the Pegasus, but he's loaded in that. But he he took really good care to make sure we're going to get some of his good horses. Uh, one of uh, Journey to Freedom was the runner-up last year. This was funny, not really funny. But it actually wasn't funny at all. I should I, I should back up. But Maker had just owned that, and then two years ago he got beat at the wire, and then last year he got beat at the wire by Spooky Channel, and I felt bad for him. I don't know why I felt bad for him because he wins everywhere, but you know he really loves this race so we're excited a lot of times he comes in and people tease me because they say do you think you can get maker to talk and i said i'm gonna try as hard as i can and, <laughs> and then one year i remember amy um oh gosh no no so it was somebody from uh, who works at keeneland i used to work with her at aqha and she called uh she texted me afterwards and, she, and he was ha- very happy because he had won and his owners were there and uh she said i've never heard mike maker talk so much and, and then what the next did you year do? he was more no i don't know he was just happy but the next year he was really quiet i was like darn i thought i, I thought we had something but you know and steve of course steve will be there he has a huge 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 allegiance to texas racing you know his parents have the uh, the ranch that they're still his dad's still working horses every morning in laredo it's the craziest thing you've ever seen steve and his his family live in uh, arlington which is near dallas and then he comes down quite a bit and he's always there for the big days so looking forward to that oh and another cute story just real quick is jeff bloom is a co-owner of one of the Connolly horses the argentinian horse uh uh, Fabrosa or whatever. It's hard to pronounce. Ben, but yeah. Was, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you let me pull choice. him up right now. Yeah, yeah. and so he's, um, he's fin, coming. Uh, Fantioso. Fantioso, yeah. yeah he's Fantioso. an Argentinian yeah. horse. He's only had him for a year, but he's a router. He's a really good turf router. And so Jeff and I got a chance. He'll be in my notes tomorrow to talk about not only him, because he's got a real good shot in the Connolly, uh, he co-owns it with uh, Correas, with, uh, you know, the trainer from and and he told me some great stories. But one of the things that really came back is his memories of winning uh, the ladies classic with Midnight Bisou, you know, who went on. Oh, my gosh, to win seven million dollars and be um, Eclipse Award uh, older female, which Latrisco will probably be as well. So, you know, it's been a great legacy for us at Sam Houston attracted a lot of people, just like you said. And uh, no shortage of talent and um, prominent people there Sunday uh, to to make this continue, you know, kind of all, all coming together. Right. You're seeing it from the, the fans and the gamblers. You're seeing it from the races getting stronger and stronger each year. Right. And those horses that come out of those races, they go on and have excellent years and win Eclipse Awards. And <laughs> we were talking uh, about Steve for a bit here. And, so, you know, when we talk about the ladies classic, we have to start with him again this year because yeah. he has. Pauline's Pearl, who is the morning line favorite, and sure. she looks no doubt like the one to beat. She just won a race at, over at Zia Park, which was uh, a good race. They had two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars up for grabs that day. And speaking of money, uh, they bumped the purse of this race, the right. same the Ladies Classic, back up to four hundred thousand from three hundred thousand. And so Steve's going to try to win this race, I believe, for the third time, and and that would be the the record. Yeah, that you're right. That is the record. Yeah, he won it 2019 with Midnight Bisou. We'll never, ever forget that. And then he came back the next year with Lady Apple. And she was a, a mayor that was supposed to run in that race, the, the uh, Zia Oaks. But then they had the um, pandemic and they couldn't run. So he just brought her to Sam Houston and he worked her. And then she won. She was a little bit of an upset 
um, in 2020 she was, but then she came back last year and she got beat by Latruska as did everybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this would be his third time. And there've been a couple conditioners, uh, Larry Jones, you know, it's, it's so crazy. This is our 10th year to have this race. It kind of almost blew my mind when I was writing the press release. I said, wow, that's, that's insane. But I do remember in 2013, Larry Jones, who is just I, I don't know how you can describe him other than say that man is the salt of the earth. He is the nicest human being in the world. Still gets on. He, used to, he had accidents. It didn't matter. He got on the horses. He worked him. He did all this. I, he was out at Zio one year when I was out there helping him out. And he hauled his horse from Louisiana. It was 23 hours. And he did it himself. The man was great. I loved him. But anyway, joyful victory. It was a super, super um, inaugural uh, effort by her beautiful tappet mare. Rosie Napravnik came in to ride her. And then a couple of years later, he won it again with Cassatt. So, um, and both of those were, he's got a wonderful, he, um, one of his loyal, loyal, loyal owner breeders is Fox Hill Farms, uh, Rick Porter. And so both of those mares were owned by him. But yeah, it would be history making for Steve. And, you know, everybody says, well, Steve wins everything. Steve wins everything. Well, yeah, but he's also showed tremendous allegiance to Sam Houston Race Park. He's won our leading trainer title 13 times. I think he's been leading owner six or eight times. He could run anywhere he wants, and he supports Texas racing. So we we really, 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 really appreciate everything that Steve and his family have done um, for Texas racing. You know, it's it's he does stand out on his own in terms of you know what he's done for us and he is one of the top barns in the nation and he has <laughs> one of the top riders in the nation coming into ride joel rosario will be aboard here what a what a combination of those two joel is someone that I, I remember out in southern california you know right when he was starting to come up and it was just one of those that you always knew when he was in northern california you could just tell he was going to be successful and he moved yeah. to southern california and then just Getting on the national scene immediately For a while it was Joel and Bejarano Out here in Southern California They were sort of the one-two that would go back and forth And now it's just Anywhere there's big racing Anytime he's going to show up And right. he's going to be on a lot of the live horses And it's it's because he's really good He might be the best, <laughs> strongest finisher In the game, it's not like yeah. a secret Why? No, he's <laughs> Well, and you know, the, the really nice uh, other rider That I would like to mention, he'll have a couple mounts Throughout the card, Stuart Elliott, who's 55 Now, and he rides first call for Steve Regularly during our meet He did at Lone Star and also Remington Park And, you know, again I'm telling you, Gino, you're never going to meet A nicer guy in, in the world Than Stuart Elliott, he just does His job, Steve has tremendous trust in him, faith in him, and he takes great care of his horses, and he's just so sweet. He That's why Steve fellow. does, right? Yeah, Steve, he, he, Steve could handpick anyone right, with right. with the type of horses that he has, but he trusts these the Stuart Elliots to just give every horse a good ride, take good care of them, 100%. make sure they're safe. If they're going to get there, they're they're not. But if not, he's not going to ask too much of them. It's just he's such a veteran. He's so smart. He is smart. I'll never forget when he won uh, the Derby with Smarty Jones. And, you know, of course, at that point, he, any other trainer would have maybe said, I'm going to put a more seasoned rider on him. But all of a sudden, I remember watching the post parade and Stewart's on this horse and he's like completely zen. I, I've told him that. I've always told him, I said, uh, Stuart, I've watched that race so many times and I couldn't believe your composure. And he said, well, you know what? It's a horse that I know really well. And, you know, I didn't get worked up or stressed out about it. I knew he had the ability and I just was going to do everything I could to make sure he had a good trip and it was so underrated when you look back on all the other winners and some of the name jockeys that it 
may not really mean that much to him, but winning a triple crown for a rider that's paid his dues for decades, it was pretty cool, you know. That is uh, one of the the main stays on the Sam Houston circuit. We see him day in, day out, and uh, he's always on really live horses, giving them really good rides. Yeah. Well, while, while we're diving into the ladies' classic a little mm-hmm. bit, you started to mention uh, John Ortiz, who has yeah. a very, very nice mare on the outside named yep. the Mary Rose. Wow, yeah. was she impressive in her last race. She just won a, a race over at Oaklawn Park. She won by seven plus <laughs> lengths that day. And if you're someone who like Andy Capson uses speed figures, yeah. she earned a really nice one. She got a 95 buyer off of that victory. So that was a, a serious win. Yeah, he was great um, on the phone. I didn't use all the quote because I'm going to save it for other press releases. But he told me, you know, basically they've only had the mayor for about a year and they took her to Colonial uh, Downs last summer. And apparently one of the races came off the turf. Um, And so what was interesting, he said, is she was like a sprinter. She was just digging in and running as hard as she could. She ended up running second. He said, but that just turned the light bulb on for me that this is a mare that can get the distance and she can go two turns. Then when he ran her at Oaklawn at the end of December, he said, wow, that's what he said. So then he thought this would be a good target for her. And I'm so excited because he's bringing in Ray Gutierrez. And like you mentioned, he's funny. And Ray was on Hollis uh, when they had the dead heat last year in the stoner side. And, you know, uh, it was funny, too, because uh, John said, um, this is the most intelligent young man I've met in a long time. Talking about Ray, he's college educated, which is, you know, very interesting. But, yeah, he went um, lived near my hometown of Buffalo, New York. He lives uh, kind of near Rochester, Canandaigua in that area. And he went to college and he graduated. So he's very, very articulate. But more than that, he's smart and uh, he wants to learn. He calls you know, John, he calls all of his trainers. What can I do to get better? What can I do? And now he's just he's just really getting a lot of confidence. They lo- Everywhere he goes, they love him. Loved him at fairgrounds, loved him at um, Remington when he went into ride, loved him at Indy Grand. And we love him at Sam Houston. So we're so excited. I saw him uh, for Champions Day at fairgrounds. Of course, they love him at fairgrounds, too. But he's got a great personality. He's a smart young kid. And he's fun as all can be. He's just and it, it seemed like last year. He the the success that he had early at Sam Houston, mm-hmm. it just he just took it and ran with it too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he, he wasn't coming into and he's always been a really good rider, but I think towards the end of last year he hadn't come in. It, it wasn't necessarily the best couple of months for him, which what she would have liked. And then he came over to Sam Houston and it was just it, it, there like immediately it was just a it was perfect. Everything he was getting on, he was so confident you could see it. And then everywhere he went last year afterwards, oh, it's an he explosion. just. Yeah. yeah, you could just feel it, and that's what it's like. Any sport, you know, we have ups and downs. You right. you ride horses, and then you'll have a, a couple months where you'll win, and then a lot of your horses will kind of move up conditions, or you know, sure. they'll they'll move up into tougher spots. And like anything, you'll go through a little bit of a lull, and sure. and, it, and it gets in your head sometimes too. You know, you're ah, what did I do? Was I making the wrong move, or was I doing that? And it's so great to see what an incredible year he had last year, and and everywhere he goes, he he's finding success and. He's got a big shot again and, and here. And building a fan base, a huge fan base. But, you know, um, I guess last year when he was co- coming, I didn't know too much about him, but he was one of the finalists for Eclipse, you know, Champion Eclipse uh, Apprentice, you know. I think it was probably th- maybe three or four years ago. And he didn't win that year. And I think then there was the transition. It's like, oh, boy, I'm going to go from apprentice Always to hard. journeyman. Very mm-hmm. difficult. And, oh, boy, and I think you and I both could talk about some stories that were really disappointing because we see these young, talented guys. But it's hard out there. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
and you've got to have the physical skills, but the mental aptitude. What did John say? He said, you know, he's not like a cowboy. He's not crazy like some of these young boys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, he, he's got he just, a real good head on his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's like, yeah, it's great to see. Uh, he was aboard the Mary Rose for that huge win mm-hmm. at the end of yeah. December over at Oakland. And yeah, she's going to be a, a top tier player in here. But uh, you talked a little bit about uh, Michael Stidham. He's got a player here with uh, with Rye Eckleberry, who's had an incredible start to the meet. Wow. He's leading Ryder. Fifteen winners out of his first 45 mounts uh, as of the time we're recording this. Yeah, opening weekend, he won seven races, and it was just like four on one night. He's yeah. a really, really good guy, you know, and funny Michael Stidham story. I remember I was at Zia it was several years ago for the Zia Oaks, and uh, Michael sent out a uh, – Michael Stidham sent out a, um, a Godolphin uh, horse for the Oaks and needed a rider. And, you know, getting to Zia and Hobbs is not easy. So he he said, mm, I'm going to use Rye. You know, he's the leading rider out there. So I remember the horse was just, she was just flawless. I mean, she looked like she just glided over the track, won by open lengths. And I interviewed him. He gave me a great interview. And afterwards, he, he said, I've never been on a horse like that. And then I remember telling Stidham, I said, oh, you, you blew Rye Eichelberry's uh, mind. He got to, you know, ride a, a Godolphin horse. And Michael just laughed. He thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, no, he's deserving of that. And uh, we love having him in Houston. Again, he's a consummate professional. Couldn't be nice are very willing always to you know do interviews and talk and help people a good guy you know so we got a lot of good at sam houston we're super excited about sunday it's going to be a great day i don't care if the weather's bad i've had my bad luck with going to places and having rain this last year <laughs> but maybe we, maybe the tide will turn on uh, on sunday anyway we're still going to make it a great day and Martha, what's nice is that um, as we are recording this, it's on Monday. Most people will probably hear this either late Monday or early Tuesday. So all throughout the week, you will have press releases that mm-hmm. are that are just kind of like in-depth looks at all of the stakes races that yeah, and, and, I, I, and a lot of the connections. Yeah, you know, in the past, sometimes I've done it all into one. And I, I told uh, Frank and Dwight Gruby, our general man, our, you know, uh, general manager, I said, no, 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 these this qualities, too much quality, too many great story ideas. So we're going to break it down for every race. Connolly will be coming up next. Huge, unbelievable. Talk about Maker and some of the other guys coming in. And then, you know, I think our last podcast, we talked about how much I'm looking forward to our Texas turf mile, the three-year-old one mile race being renamed for Bob Bork, who was our general manager and passed away last year. And his son, Dan Bork, who's uh, very active in at Churchill and Ellis Park, he's coming in as as Bob's other uh, son and daughter are coming in. So we'll have the Bork family with us to celebrate. We've got the stoner side, we've got the pulse power sprint um, and the Jersey Lily. So it's going to be a really, really special day. And I think it's important that we, you know, make sure that each, each competitor, each breeder, trainer, owner, jockey that's in any of the features uh, gets a little bit of the limelight. And that's our goal. So hopefully, and, you know, we couldn't do it without great people like you um, and my friend Mary Rampolini at the Daily Racing Forum and Pollock Report, all the people that are really supporting us and, you know, get the word out. And then our 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 very eclectic, I'll call it eclectic fan base <laughs> of handicappers. Absolutely. As Mr. Sam Sherman, for sure. Right, <laughs> and it doesn't. That's the, that's the great thing about all of us is that everyone that's a fan, they're all different shapes, yeah. sizes. It doesn't old, young. It doesn't yep. matter, right? Yeah. Everyone yeah. has an opinion. Everyone right. likes what they're seeing. Everyone likes when they they feel like as a fan they're getting treated the right way. 
That's yeah. what Sam Houston is doing to them. They're put it, they're doing for them. They're giving a good product. They're not. They're they're giving them a good percentage back with the takeout, <laughs> best compared to any other tracks around. And so it's drawing in people from all over the place that are having fun and that are wanting to invest their money. And these um, these little releases every day from you are a major help. Just to like you said, give a little bit of a look to some of the connections, shine a light on some of them, but also anyone who's handicapping the races, you're going to get information, stories from some of them. You're going to find out some of like the shipping, where they came in, how they came in, sort of some of their prep work. So it's really good if you're handicapping the races, if it's good, if you're someone who's just um, wanting to, you know, keep an eye on what's going on with the horses leading up to the stakes. I think it's very helpful. And uh, as I said, when I get to the have you on for an interview, I get to read through before and it's like a perfect little checklist for me. I get to go through everything. You make my job so easy. Well, you you are too kind, but because believe me, you could school me in some of these things too, but we work really well together and I, I appreciate that. You know, when you have these big days, you really want everybody to get fired up and it's so helpful that people are looking out for us and that they've got this date marked in their calendar and, you know, and I we're just going to keep trying to build and make it better and better every year. So appreciate all that you do, Gino, for us and your handicapping, your guests and your some of the crazy people. <laughs> I have yeah. no, no, because you make it fun you know and uh we're looking forward i know you know scott hazelton he's going to be on site that'll be a um, lot of fun yeah yeah broadcasting i'm not sure jessica's he's heading ever... back out there i think Jessica too right there yeah yeah uh, and i'm not sure that uh he's ever been at sam houston but i'm hoping i can get a little time with him on camera and we can talk about the uh todd shrupp jerry the king lawler oh uh, yeah <laughs> the old wrestling match <laughs> that That's... made the 10 year that made the uh, the uh tvg 10 year highlight and believe me that was a memory I will never forget. I will never that, forget. As, a as a someone who talks a lot of wrestling on this show, <laughs> I, that was that's like worlds colliding for me too. It was all these things, <laughs> and I, it was hilarious to see, and um, so was, much fun. He was cool. Let me tell you something about Jerry the King Lawler. Everybody will say it's kind of fake or whatever. Let me tell you, the guy is he is an athlete. You know, I mean, he pile drove. Todd Shrupp with one hand, uh, one arm. How can you take a six foot six man and <laughs> tuck him over your shoulder with one? And he didn't even sweat. And I remember saying to him, how did you do that? He must have thought I was so crazy, but I'd never seen it in person. And Todd was freaking out, you know, it was so much oh. fun. So much fun at Sam Houston. We're gonna have uh, content all throughout the week. I'm I've talked with Mary before the meet, but I haven't. I'm gonna see maybe I can get her on later in the week too to help to help out here. If not, this very very soon. I wanted to also give a, a shout out. We um, we were all thinking, and, and um, Nick Tamaro is in our our thoughts and prayers. Uh, his, his family had a a major loss earlier this week. Um, and Nick has just. I sent him a message the other day. I for me when I handicap the races. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always watching replays like I'm a stickler for replays I even if it's like a horse gets beat by 20 I gotta see what happened I just I feel like I know a horse better after I watch their replays over and sure. over so okay. I'm always watching them Nick has impressed me so much with his race calls he is eloquent he obviously has done his homework he's funny too I think people yeah. don't realize he's got a great sense of humor that yeah. he'll put into a lot of the calls so I have been really really impressed with uh, what a great job he's been doing so far 
He has, you know, and he's, we all knew he was a great handicapper, uh, but and he's had a couple little, um, you know, he did some uh, race calling when he and Travis Stone are friends. He went over to Louisiana Downs a few times and called the races uh, and he's watched a million races, obviously, because he does some stuff at New York. He's got some good buddies. He and Andy Sterling are really good friends, but Nick is one of the most intelligent people I've met and he's really, he's got a great vocabulary and he throws it into his race calls. And then sometimes when he's throwing it down to me in winter circle, he'll say, the inimitable Martha Clausen. And I get the biggest kick out of it because it's a great word. I mean, most, maybe 90% of the people have never used that word. And mm-hmm. I really, I'm very flattered when he uses that, but he's got a great vocabulary. He's a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, no, he, it's great. I mean, our team is really coming together this year. And, uh, you know, everybody's on the same page, super looking forward to promoting and making um, Sunday one of our best days ever. Martha on Twitter, where everybody can follow you. Where uh, where's your uh, your Twitter handle? I'm at Martha Clausen, and the press releases that you were talking about are always uh, listed on shrp.com under Horsemen's. I think our tab is Horsemen's information and then uh, racing notes, so you'll see them. And you know, I have a lot of other media sources that share the information. Blood Horse is great about it. Uh, Horse Racing Nation, um, you know, Pollock Report, obviously. So, but yeah, um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Martha Clausen. I don't get into Twitter wars, though. So if you say anything mean about me, you're just going to have to say it and live. And it's one thing I vowed a long time ago when I started doing social media. I'm never, ever, ever responding to negative. Boom, you know. So uh, <laughs> plenty of positive energy to push yeah. towards Sam Houston this yeah. week and towards all the big racing days. So, uh, Martha, we always appreciate your time. I know you're so busy on these big weeks and we look forward to checking in with you. Uh, I'll uh, I'll touch base with you throughout the week and see how everything's going. That'll be fantastic. And while we're on the phone together, let's talk about your big day when you're coming in in a couple of weeks and how excited I, we are about that. I will. I will. It's getting closer and closer and closer. I should be there in less than a month now. Uh, so really looking forward to making my first trip out to Sam Houston and uh, hanging out with you and checking everything uh, in the area. A lot of people I'd love to say hello to. So again, uh, thank you. It's always a blast. And I always look forward to our chats. So have a great week and you let me know if you need anything. Okay, thanks, Gino. My pleasure and appreciate everything you do for us as well. Do not go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more to discuss, and we're going to be talking a lot of Sam Houston all week long. We're going to get to the full Thursday card in just a minute. Stay tuned. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Check out that Stable Duel app every single day for which tracks have games, which contests you are going to get fired up in. Most days, we've got help for you. Right now, it's going to be Gulfstream. It's going to be Tampa. It's going to be Sam Houston. It's going to be Santa Anita. You're going to get combinations of lots of those tracks and those big games throughout the week into the weekend. Now, every Friday... Set your alarm, set your notifications, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. We do a show this weekend in Stable Duel, Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears, the sniper. We all go over some plays for Friday and for Saturday for tracks that have Stable Duel games. So if you're playing Stable Duel, even if you're just looking for some horses to, to bet on the weekend, 
We're always going to give you some prices. We're always going to go over a couple different tracks for Friday and for Saturday right now. It's going to be a lot of Tampa, Gulfstream, Sam Houston, Santa Anita. Those are the tracks that are in the rotation for the next few months, it looks like. So that's every Friday. We'll always be talking stable duel as uh, every day. You can play different games, get your entries in, and play, race, win. Right now, our friends over at Daily Racing Form are offering an incredible promotion that lasts all the way through April the 15th. So you still have two and a half months to get to drf.com and sign up for DRF Bets. So the reason why, you can now get Formulator for free. Formulator, the best past performances out there where you can optimize anything that you want you can uh, you know check statistics for anything that you need trainer stats you can click one click to charts one click to pedigree information one click to race replays which is huge for me and it makes it so convenient because they're all right there you don't have to pull up a bunch of different tabs and now you will get free formulator when you sign up for DRF bets and you deposit 250 so check out what you need to do sign up for DRF bets deposit 250 they will match your 250 immediately and then they're going to give you a $10 free bet and then they're going to give you 10 free formulator cards yep right now so you're going to end up with a ton in your account to bet a ton of formulator cards to handicap and then every time you bet another $50 you will get credit for a DRF formulator card so if you're playing the races you're not going to have to worry about Purchasing the past performances there. You can use the best past performances. Anytime you bet 50 bucks, you'll get another card there automatically. And you'll start with a ton of money because of this deposit bonus. Check it out right now. That's uh, where I'm always going before I start my handicapping. Like for Wednesday as we head on over to Tampa. A couple bets uh, for Tampa. A couple for Penn National for you to use in your stable duel games. And free to play in the races as we get to race number one for Tampa, January the 26th. I'm going to start with the opener where I think you can single last promise in early exotics. Just feels like there's zero other early speed in here. He was forwardly placed last out, but he got hooked five wide in between. He lost a ton of ground going into the turn. He settled three deep, about two or three lengths off. He made a big three wide move at the top of the lane. was really out in the five path. He tried hard all the way. He was only beat a half length when it was all said and done, and he should get a really nice cozy trip from the inside in a race that doesn't have any other early speed signed on. The number one last promise, an early exotic single. This guy's 5-2 to two on the morning line. I mean, if he's at that price, I'd play him to win, but I'd treat him more like an early exotic single if you want to spread around a little bit in the, uh, the following races, like in race number three, where we get to the outside with number 10, Magic Surprise. So this filly has raced twice. She's a three-year-old filly now. And she's going to get Lasix for the first time in her debut. She went seven and a half furlongs at Gulfstream Park against Maiden Special Weights on the turf. And it was in July. And the race has already produced a next out Maiden Special Weight winner. Stakes placed Ocean Safari. Magic Surprise had a pretty quick start that day, but she got cut off by the rail runner. She got bumped around. She got squeezed. She got checked going into the turn. It was not the easiest of beginnings. And then she faded late. Didn't run from July to December. Showed back up in December. They tried the synthetic. Dropped down to Maiden 35s and just got backed up. And the 3-5 to five favorite went wire to wire. Now you're going to put two starts together. You're going to come back to the turf where it feels like she should be a lot better. She comes over to Tampa. 
I think Magic Surprise is a little too high on that morning line. If she's anything around 4-1, to one, I'm going to make a win wager there on Magic Surprise. We move to race number 5 at Tampa on Wednesday. I'm looking at the number 6 in here. Venezuelan Triumph. So, he will get Lasix for the first time. His dam, he's going to try the grass for the first time also. His dam won on the turf. His lone sibling, the only one with multiple turf starts, won on the turf. I think another one of his siblings tried the turf one time. I usually wait until they have two or three before I'll really hold it against them or give them credit for running really well on it. Um, So, Venezuelan Triumph... Proven on dirt, proven on synthetic Now going to go third start of the form cycle Getting the Lasix Some turf breeding to look for For a barn that wins a ton of races Again we're going to Camacho Again it's an 8-1 to shot on the warning line That I just feel like is a, is a bit too high I had stacked more like a 5-1 to shot there in the 5th Let's move to race number 9 On Wednesday over at Tampa I'm looking at the 8 on a tour This Philly was in really nice form heading into her last start. And it was a bit tougher because you could see she was just 42 to 1 in that race. It was a 16 starter allowance. And she was unprepared at the start. She was back to last. She was taken up on heels. She was chasing slow fractions. She I, I didn't love the trip at all. She kind of got caught wide and in between horses. It was actually got a pretty sneaky good effort. She kept trying, even with not the best of journeys. On a tour, now going to go second off the short break. She's uh, again eight to one on the morning line that I had stacked. I had her like more like a seven to two shot in here, so anything over that felt fair to me. And that is over at Tampa on Wednesday. Let's take a, a look at a couple horses uh, over at Penn National on Wednesday. If you want to play in the Wednesday night stable duel games. I've deemed it Penn's Day, Penn Wednesday. Coming up, let's take a look at January the 26th past performances for Penn. And I'm uh, I'm going to give you a couple horses, uh, 3rd, 5th, and the ninth that I'm looking at playing in race number 3. The number 2 Thunder Grunder is a horse who just maybe found a, a group that was a little too tough last time out going a mile. Hadn't run from the end of October to the beginning of January, so it wasn't that long of a layoff, but just a couple months off, and and tried the eight claiming level. Now you drop back in with four. You're going to go second off the two-and-a-half-month break, and you get back to a level where they've been really competitive, a track where they've run well. The number two, Thunder Grunder, is 6-1 to one on the morning line. I had them stacked more like a, a 4-1 to one shot in here, so anything in that range, that feels fair. Let's get to race number five. I'm looking at the four in here, cheek to cheek. These are optional 25 non-twos. Cheek to cheek was in a 10 claimer last time out. Had a brutal start. Was last six off. Took a while to really settle and gain his footing. He was four deep, widest of all in the stretch. I thought he ran really, really well after that bad beginning. You see some races at Woodbine. You see a, a race on the dirt at Fort Erie that's actually really good and stacks up with some of the best in here. I think there's a little more ceiling to cheek to cheek. The number four, who is 12 to 1 on the morning line, I had this horse stacked more like six. So anything around that will make a win wager there. Cheek to cheek is a great horse to use in stable duel because a 12 to 1 only going to cost you 750. Let's get to race number nine. 
at Penn National. I am looking at the number seven, Ask Neil. This is really sharp right now. Good effort last time out. Just beat a neck. Two starts back, a very impressive win. And that's after running in New York. Was it Aqueduct? Was it Belmont? Was Then it was over at Finger Lakes. They're just kind of trying to figure out where he stacks up. Changed Barnes. And the two pen races are really tough to knock. The number seven, Ask Neil Sharp, anything around 3-1, to one, we'll make a win wager there. Make sure to use in all your exotics. That's over at Penn on Wednesday. I'm going to move along, start talking a little Sammy Houston. We're going to shift our focus to Thursday. We'll take a run through the Sam Houston card. Four days of racing at Sam Houston this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then the big Sunday with that special early first post. If you need more details, you can just go a little earlier on in the episode when we talked with uh, Martha Clausen about everything happening this week on Sunday, and we'll preview the card later in the week with Jessica Paquette. So let's look at Thursday, January the 27th, Sam Houston, race number one, five and a half furlongs on the dirt course. You've got maiden $5,000 claimers. But the one final narrative, adding the blinkers, exiting a race with a couple next out winners. One of them won a, a 10000 non-two at Oaklawn. Another one won a, a maiden eight, then a, a 12-5 non-two. So the races have both come back live, adding the blinkers, dropping in class from the rail. That The major concern is the draw, because if this horse doesn't get a great beginning, he might get that shuffle down on the inside and have a tough trip. And selling short, well, I don't think all that much of him, he does have speed. And there are one or two others in here who have shown a little bit of speed. So if they get out to a good start, final narrative is a little slower than them. He could be in tough right behind them. I'll use the one and two. Try to beat the four selling short. So final narrative and Tiznow's grandson who is dropping in class came over here to Sam Houston and has a couple works here over the track. I think should be set for a much better effort in this pretty soft race to open the card. Let's get to race number two. Made in special weights going a mile on the turf course here. I like the two magical stardust a little bit. He had a brutal, she had a brutal beginning. Bumped around, clipped heels, was 12 lengths off last time out. Just never really had a, a, a shot. That was at fairgrounds against Maiden Claimer. So that's still probably tougher by a bit or maybe lateral to this spot. In particular with this group. Kind of hard to take each level in just general, but looking at this group, it isn't the strongest in the world. The five forever home coming in from Ellis. So he has two races. She has two races. The first turf, uh, two races on the turf, excuse me. The first of them was very good. The second of them was not. And then she was sent to the bench for a while after the poor race. So you can make an excuse for that. And if she runs back to her race in July, I think she wins this. I'm not as high on suffragette. She could win. Her race last time was fine. No knocks. She wouldn't surprise me, but if she's a really short price, I'm okay with trying to beat her. The one sip would be another one that I would maybe throw into the exotics. You got the inside draw with some speed. We've at least seen some decent enough efforts on the grass where she finished third in a, a big field going five furlongs, then going seven and a half furlongs, flash speed and faded to finish fifth in a race that came back live against Maiden Specials. Two, five, one, and then Whatever you want to do with the four. Let's move to race number three, Maiden $7,500 claimers. If you're looking for a kind of a crazy price horse, maybe the three Lynx boy second start off the bench just comes out of some 
okay races. The, the Texas Red Maiden 25 race last time out, you know, was a soft group. Before that, wasn't completely disgraced against Maiden Special 8 runners. The one autocratic is probably the horse to beat. His race back in October is likely the best that anyone in this field has in any race. Then you got the 7 Bro Code, whose numbers and figures are a little low, but he's going to be hitting a career low level, and he's going to be getting the ultimate equipment change first time gelding for top-notch connections. The 5 Great Realization is the one to beat. He faced Maiden Special Weights, Open Maiden Specials last time out. Really good second against Oklahoma Bred Maiden Specials back in October. So I'd go 3 5 one, seven. That's how I had him in race number three at Sam Houston as we move along to race number four. Loved Three-Eyed Raven last time. This course was entered but scratched out of that spot and now is back here. And I have him picked second, but I do think the five snowman, he didn't have a very good trip last time out. And I expect them to be a lot more aggressive with him. This is a six and a half furlong sprint race and there's very little sprint speed in here which Snowman does possess if they want to use that. G's turn is more of a, a route speed type horse. So I think the five's the one to beat and the one to catch. I would go 5-1. In race number five, mile and a 16th on the turf course. So if the five is back in a few days, it might be kind of interesting. This horse was pretty competitive, almost won last weekend. So sort of a wild card to, to throw in at a price that could come closing. The 1A I like most in here, Metro Pool, who's getting back to the turf, has some really nice turf races, including a couple here at Sam Houston. The 2, Mishko, should save all the ground and come running. Newport Bay came out of that race to come back and run pretty well the other day with the not the easiest of trips. The 7, Newcaster, is likely the one to beat. I'm a little worried about the trip he might get, though, from out there. He could get parked a little bit if he's not able to clear. I see one or two others who might want to show some speed. I like 1A and 2 the most. We'll throw the 5 in a little bit if that one comes back on short rest. We'll include the 4 and the 7 in underneath spots, but I prefer the 7 over the 4. I think they may end up kind of impacting each other a bit. Let's get to race number 6, start of your late pick 4 sequence. I'm using the two Isabella's Joy. Isabella's Joy, second off the bench. Came in from Churchill back to Sam Houston and was a good third behind Salacious Accusation, the number four, who's always competitive in these type of spots. The six lovely Lolita I thought might be the one to beat. So I kind of have two six stacked above. The one Mad Tabby coming in from Fairgrounds should enjoy this company a little bit more. Don't love the rail, but at least she'll be a big price. And then Shaklakalaka gets away from uh, the the one who defeated her in the last couple. And she returns to a track where she's run really well in the past. I, I thought this was a pretty contentious race with a lot of horses that I don't think will end up being, uh, you know, end up having a really short price favorite in this race. So it was kind of hard for me to peg one down. I thought I wasn't really high on the seven custom for Carlita. So that means she'll probably win this race easily. Seventh at Sam Houston, allowance non two mile on the dirt. The number seven cost avenge I thought was maybe one you could single in here, coming off of some excellent recent form over at Zia and at Remington Park, and came over here at Sam Houston with a nice work. 
seems to be feeling very good. The four declaration of speed I would include underneath for connections that are just winning everything right now, especially when they team up. The one implicator, you can toss the last at Oaklawn Park and make an excuse for that one. The five, First Avenue, second off the bench. I liked last time out. It just comes with disappointing with the effort. And the two, Mo Tap. I'm fine playing against that one in here. I single the seven cost average. I would stack them seven, four, one, five, two. And uh, we move along to race number eight. Maiden $15,000 claimer, seven furlongs. The distance. I'll look towards the outside for a couple horses to use in exotics. Aragorn! The eight will be one that I include. Comes in from Keeneland. Comes into a new barn. We don't really know how good she is. But she'll get Lasix. I'm going to sort of treat her like a first-time starter in here. And I'm going to use her. Mainly because I feel really confident that the six is going to run a good race. Promptly done. So I'll probably single the six promptly done on some tickets. I'll use the eight Aragorn along with the, the six. Promptly done at a good start. Was four deep. Was right with the leaders, backed off, was fourth, was three lengths off then. They made a big four-wide move at the top of the lane, was a strong second behind the class-dropping Asmussen runner. The number six, promptly done in a great spot here, race number eight on Thursday. Let's close out the Thursday card at Sam Houston, race number nine. Looking at the two in here, I'm a lucky charm. The damn one on the turf, couple winning turf sibs, and the number six, rocked, will also be on my tickets here. Rocked trying the turf for the first time. The 11 and 12, there's just nobody in here with a ton of turf success. So, And there's none with really like monster turf pedigrees. That's why I thought the two I'm a lucky charm has enough there with some winning success. The 11 and 12 to the outside. Wilburn's classy lady in the 12 10k. Blink, uh, blinkers come on there. And if you toss the last, you have a pretty good debut. So I'll end up going 2 6 11, 12 in race number 9 at Sam Houston to close out the card over on Thursday. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm-hmm. SarahCandles.com, those all-natural soy wax candles free from the toxins, the carcinogens, and the pollutants. Don't forget about the promo code G-I-N-O. Going to get you 10% off your purchase. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Going to get into a little bit of the book of Boba Fett right now, but I'm just going to talk for a few minutes some of my overall thoughts on the episode in case people were tuning in to listen and to get a little some Boba Fett thoughts before episode 5 comes out. I'll talk a little bit about episode 4, but I do want to wait for Matt uh, to join me for sort of our deep dive where we can at least you know talk about this uh, fourth episode and then fifth episode also, but... Let's, uh, let's get into it. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Going to talk about everything that's happened so far in the book of Boba Fett and how that sort of interacts and, you know, how it impacts what's happened in other shows and what may happen in other shows and other movies. And this episode, episode four, is called The Gathering Storm. And we pick right up with Boba in the back to tank. What we're seeing is he is healing now. 
less particles in the back of the tank. It's clearer in there. You can kind of see it in his body, his head, where he was had the acid, where he'd been kind of cut up. He looks a lot just healthier overall. And we actually hear the droids tell us that he has he has been healed. So now you wonder, are these flashback scenes that we've been seeing with Boba flashing back to his time with the Tuscans, and then this entire episode, for the most part, was a flashback of him with Fennec. Most of this episode was a flashback of him and Fennec, him meeting Fennec, events that we actually saw in the Mandalorian show. So, Boba is trying to also hear, heal his inner wounds. That's what is is happening. Fennec even has a, a crack about it. You know, she says, how about, how about those inner wounds? And you know, he jokes, uh, those, those take longer. But that's what he's doing in the flashbacks. Is it, He's going back, he's reliving his dreams, kind of these things that he's learned along the way, his time with the Tuscans, all of the things that brought him here, wanting to be this leader, the Gatra, this leader of a family, this lineage. He wants to be the godfather here. So we end up, in this episode, it's really cool. We get to see a lot of parts of the palace, Jabba's palace, that we haven't seen before. Overall, it's funny. I like this episode a lot more on the second watch than on the first. There are still some issues I I have with it, but I do feel like, like, I don't feel like we've, we've learned all that much. Some things here and there. I like what some of the stuff that we've learned in the flashbacks. But overall, it feels like four episodes now. And things are just kind of starting to pick up. This might have been able to be done maybe a little bit different. But I do feel like with things that have been... With what is set up in this episode. I feel better about it moving forward. How the next three episodes are going to finish up. Than, than I might have after episode three last week. So... My socks weren't completely knocked off quite yet after this episode, but I did feel better than after episode three because now it does feel like, well, teaser, spoiler, at the very end of this episode, we heard the Mandalorian flute theme and they're going to try to build an army, which all of the things that they've been doing are things that we knew Boba, they needed to do in this show. Give us a little bit of Boba's motivation, right? Why does he want to go be this family leader? Okay, well, we're we're seeing that a little bit. It just wasn't all. It still was still. It still was a, a little hazy as to why. You know, he said, "Okay, I'm just kind of sort of sick of the way uh, we've been treated as bounty hunters. We get set to places and we get put in situations because of our stupid bosses, and we're smarter than them. So that's fine." Kind of just took a while to get there. And we know all of the stuff with the Tuscans, with the Pikes, that's coming forward. So we're getting that. We're getting now we had some gripes about okay, Boba is now gonna try to be this this boss. He needs he needs an army. He needs an entourage. He needs people around him to help him fight. Well now he started building them. He got the mods, the kind of teen kids. And they're referring to them as the mods because they've all had the the modifications. A lot of them with the robotics. He got back and brought back in Black Kersantan. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a minute. You got the Gamorians now. You've got Fennec there. And you've got the Rancor. Now he mentions at the end of this episode that he needs to go get some more muscle. 
Fennec says, hey, I, I know where we can get muscle. We just need money. Boba has no issue with that. He's got plenty of credits. And then cue the Mando theme music. And I'd imagine we're going to get the Mandalorian to show up back in this uh, series soon. And that'll probably lead into the next season of the Mandalorian. Now, at the very end of the credits of this episode, one of the recaps and reviews and actually a couple different ones that I had read mentioned that there was what sounded like some music that would lead us to believe we may be getting some appearances from characters in the movie Solo. So not sure exactly how they're going to do that, if they're going to tie it in, but that was something that we can keep an eye on. So I do feel kind of excited moving forward about where we where we stand at the very end of this episode. We see Boba and Fennec sneak into Jabba's palace, which is Bib's palace, to get back Slave One. Now they say, Boba refers to it as a a fire spray. I don't think that's the actual name that they're going to call it now. That's sort of like the type of of ship it is. It's a fire spray. We see how Boba finds Fennec, which is actually something that happens... Fennec being wounded and seemingly left to her death is something we see in The Mandalorian. So now we we know exactly what time period this is now, and so we can sort of put two and two together that Boba was with the Tuscans for like five years? I mean, that's what it's... when it adds up to what the time period of The Mandalorian is there. Because when Boba takes Fennec to the outskirts of Mos Eisley, the Mandalorian is there at that time. He had just had the interaction with with Fennec. At the mod parlor, we see Steven Thundercat Bruner from Suicidal Tendencies playing the mod artist. And after he fixes up Fennec, Fennec and Boba strike up a, a team. And I did hear some gripes from people about this episode, which I can also agree with, is that Boba and Fennec being the two that are on a team together, they're both very kind of quiet, more stoic personalities. Generally, when you have a a partnership or a buddy cop or something like that on a show or a movie, one of them is the straight person. One of them is very loud and flamboyant or goofy and they can play off each other. And so when it's a lot of Boba and Fennec, I think they're good together, but there's nothing flashy really about it. I do feel like this is a show that when it's done, we'll be able to look back at the whole of it and say, okay, it's really good, but maybe some standalone episodes are slow, but they do build some foundation that were needed. That's what I'm hoping. Felt better, like I said, this week than last week. We got to see all sorts of different droids. EV-969 cooking droid, General Grievous-looking droid, Rat Catcher droid. Now... Black Kersantan, after being released by Boba last week, has just been hanging around and showed up in that bar, sort of casino, run by Garza Fwip. And Black Kersantan runs into some Trandosians. Remember in the first episode, we see one of the Trandosians come in with the Wookiee pellet? So when you dig into their history a little bit, Trandosians hunted Wookiees, enslaved them, killed them, murdered a bunch of them. Thus, Black Kersantan hates has a natural hate for this group. And he's just sitting there getting drunk, watching these Trandosians gamble and celebrate, and he 
just starts picking them up one at a time, throwing them off the tape, creating this massive scene, which gets Garza Whip over because she just wants order, right? She doesn't want a, like a scene. She wants to be able to keep business running. She doesn't want everyone to get up and leave and get scared. She tries to talk him out of it, talk him down, and then he pulls this Trandosian's arm right out of his socket, which is a cool reference to Han Solo well earlier. So we're getting a lot of Han stuff here. Um, let's see what else other other tidbits I wanted to hit on. We get a gathering of these bosses of the uh, of the city, like the Godfather. Boba doesn't sit on the throne though; he has them all sit on a table, and they're actually sitting right on the on the top of the Rancor pit, right on the top of that trap door. So yeah, this is an episode with a lot of direct connection to the Mandalorian, and we get the feel they've basically told us that Mando is coming. Boba, he blames himself for what had happened to the Tuscans, how they got really massacred. And so what he does is when he gets his ship back, which is a really cool moment. We see Boba when he when he realizes that Slave One is there. That's his home. It's the closest thing to a home that he's ever had. And then he gets it, Fennec's in there with him, and he goes and just blasts the, the Nikto Raiders. I mean, this scene is... Just brutal. This is probably what a lot of people wanted more of in this show and with Boba. So we're getting little glimpses of it here. I think we'll still have it coming in some of the big battles that we're going to inevitably see in the final three episodes as he continues to build his army. Badass Boba destroying the Raiders. So he had this Game of Thrones feel with the families and the plotting and the needing to find backup. We had a seismic charge which we also saw in episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and then the Boba returning to the Sarlacc, and this very Jaws, kind of the blob feel to that whole scene. So, going to get into this in our deep dive, and we'll get into it a lot more with Matt Velasco next week. We'll talk about episodes 4 and 5, with just a few remaining in this 7-episode installment of The Book of Boba Fett. Before we get into the old wrestling rewatch, we're going to talk Royal Rumble 2020. Have to let you know about the longtime sponsor. That's what she said. Cindy Carava, full service realtor. Cindy Carava, she can help you out in many different ways buying, selling, leasing. She can help connect you with the right kind of vendors like gardeners, landscapers, people that can help you with home improvement. If you need help with a home loan, she can connect you with the right kind of lenders that'll put you in great shape and help you with everything that you need. She's kind. She's honest. She's genuine. She's going to make your life easy. She can help you, whether you're in Southern California here in the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, even if you're in an area where she doesn't work, she'll connect you with someone that can help you, that she trusts, that she knows. You can find out more information about her, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Right now it's time for Royal Rumble 2020, one of our deep dives, the old wrestling rewatch, just Darren aboard this week, but it's Royal Rumble season, so we talk about a really good rumble from just a few years back, Royal Rumble 2020 with Darren Zocali. Oh yeah! Old wrestling rewatch! With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> 
time to rumble. It's time for the Royal Rumble. Darren Zocali joins me for another edition of the Old Wrestling Rewatch. We last time we talked, we went through all of the Royal Rumbles, kind of a little snapshot, little tidbits from each year. Now we're going to dive into one of those years that we actually thought was a really, really good Rumble. This was a nice pick from DZ. We're not going all that far back in the past, but. This was a really good show, and it was very worth revisiting, Darren. We're talking about Royal Rumble 2020. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I I hadn't watched the show in its entirety since. I mean, it's only two years ago. Uh, I've watched the Rumble match itself, you know, because it's a cool Rumble match. But I had this weird feeling. I don't know how you took it. When the show started, like you put yourself in that place. Like I remember, I mean, it was only two years ago. We were sitting in my family room. I had a couple of my friends over. My son, Anthony, had a couple of his friends over. We had like seven, eight guys, ordered pizzas, sitting around the you know the fireplace or whatever. We got that going, got it on the big 70-inch. Everyone's having a good time. And little did we know, like in two months, the world was going to be flipped upside down. And I kind of like, it was tough watching this because it was like, man, this was like the last big show before the shit hit the fan. And it and I'll be honest with you, it bothered me a little bit. It it really did. Like you could you know, feel it. You could feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, just seeing everybody in the crowd and just saying to yourself, nobody has a clue what's about to happen. And uh, you know, like that that bothered me. Uh, the show, but I mean, the show itself is a for my money, it's a top five rumble. The Completely rumble agree. Is, yeah, yeah. The rumble match itself, it's one of the better booked matches that they've had in WWE in a very very long time it's a tale of two rumbles within one match which is great the women's match is a lot of fun um that you know you have the maybe the becky uh, not it's not the becky excuse me the bailey match was rather lackluster but nothing offensive but other than that i thought the show from start to finish was really really enjoyable and uh like i said it, it ends with a, with a top five royal rumble match really good show Top to bottom, Roman. We got yeah the undercard, Roman, Corbin, Flair, Shayna, uh, in the uh, eliminate Shayna in the Rumble last. We got the Bailey, Lacey Evans for the women's championship. The best, I mean, probably the best fiend match to the time, and definitely one yeah. of the best fiend matches all time with Daniel Bryan who pulls it out of him. You got a good one between Becky and Oscar, and then that really awesome men's Royal Rumble where it it's like two different Rumbles. I think you you were saying this too because mm-hmm. you get. And that's the it's such a great way to book it because you get the first half with Brock legitimately eliminating some like everyone one at a time until you get, you know, three or four guys that just end up being a little too much for him. And that's just like a perfect way to book it. And then you get him out of there at the halfway point. So you can have like a, a second half of the rumble with everybody else. I, it was it was about as well done as possible. It made Brock look strong. It put over Drew for eliminating him. It just did a lot of things really well. It did. It, it 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 built up Drew from from a double standpoint. He he not only eliminates Brock, but he eliminates Roman to win. So you're re- you're eliminating two of the biggest names, if not at the time, the two biggest male names in the company to win your Rumble. This was supposed to be the year of Drew McIntyre, and unfortunately, his moment a shadow was cast over because of COVID and nobody being in the crowd and you know and all of that. But you know, unbeknownst to them at the time, the way they booked it to build up everything from mania was sensational. The edge return was goosebumps. It always is goosebumps. Um, the, I, thankfully they recut 
the first spear so that you see it because I don't know if you remember Gino, but watching they missed it, live, it right when he came in. It. Yes, they missed it. Where he comes in, they go to the crowd, and when they come back, all you see is Ziggler just laid out, you know, and you hear him and you hear Cole go spear, and you're like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> I, I didn't even see it, you know. So thankfully they recut that when they did it. Um, but yeah, that the stuff with him and Orton is excellent. Some of the stuff with 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 Lesnar, and we'll get to it. Some of it's hysterical. The things that 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 Brock does, people don't realize Brock's funny, man. He really like when you he's get got him a in great personality. Yeah, he really does. He, like he when, he's he enjoys like that's there's this common misnomer that Brock Lesnar is someone who hates wrestling or is lazy, is a lazy worker or won't give you much in the ring or won't go all in in segments and promos. If any if you thought any of that was true, you definitely haven't watched wrestling in the last 6 months or so and seen this entirely different version of Brock and seen some of the different versions of Brock through the years because you know what? Maybe that's been that's been the case in certain times, sure. Who hasn't though? What top guy hasn't been like a diva here and there? To oh, show course. me one of them and, and and I'll and I'll show you that you're wrong. Yeah. I mean, he he's a diva from the standpoint that he takes he he uses his uh his star power as leverage to get what he wants. If I mean that that's really the way that he's a diva. I don't think anybody ever says about Brock Lesnar that he's a that he's a diva in the locker room or he he acts like a Shawn Michaels did at the peak of his career or like I mean you know, Brock, we've heard sometimes could be standalone and he, he likes to dress by himself. And he's not the first person we've heard that about. But I think he uses it to get what he wants in a contract. He makes an absurd mm-hmm. amount of money for not having to work that much. Although this run is the opposite of that. And that's great. But we've seen Brock. I mean, when, when he won the money in the bank and he was up there dancing with the with the jukebox and stuff. I mean, you know, Brock's been funny at times. But mm-hmm. in this match, you see some funny personality stuff. You know, when the... When uh, Keith Lee comes out, and we'll talk about that moment where he looks at him and he big goes, "Oh, man. You know, big boy, big you know? boy." Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you know, the, the, the MVP comes out with the music and Brock's dancing in the ring He's and stuff. Dancing. Yeah. I mean, and it's then Brock yeah. Lesnar is dancing. Yeah. That was just a great call to hear him yeah. say that. You and, know, and and part of it is he's having fun, and a part of it is it's a part of it's a part of the story and a part of the character. I'm out here kicking everybody's ass and I'm dancing around having a good time doing it. So it checks off a couple of boxes. Um, but yeah, yeah I, it's I, not I, him just like walking through the back dancing no. in a goofy segment, right? Like he's out there, like, look at me, I'm owning you, you know, I'm and it's just, you, yeah. Yeah. it's great. You know, it's it's kind of like the guys that would jump up on the, on the turnbuckle and put their feet up, you know, and hundred percent that that's his version of that, which is great. Um, you know, Roman does double duty. The, the, the kickoff matches is, is really good between him and Corbin. It's not a, necessarily a, a wrestling match because it's a pinfalls count anywhere but it's entertaining as hell it's fun the crowd is absolutely into it um and, and then you know the championship matches throughout the card you talk the fiend match it's a great match but man it bothered me how, like how could you have screwed this up you know how in the world did you mess that up and we'll talk about that the, so as enjoyable as the show is there are certain things in this show where you just scratch your head and go man what could have been and we'll uh, get into what was of the 2020 Royal Rumble. We did have two pre-show matches. Sheamus Shorty G. He's finally ridded the name of Shorty G as a uh, tag team champ now <laughs> with Alpha Academy. And we had Andrade versus Cor- uh, Humberto Carrillo on the pre-show there. That was a U.S. title match. That's another guy who went over. He lo- 
just felt like squandered. He had a great run in NXT when they when they exact, finally figured out what to do with him, pulled him up on the main roster, and couldn't. You know, they put Zelina with him, and he would come out and still be fine in the ring, but they just couldn't figure out what to do with him. Then he leaves and he goes to AEW, and it's the same thing over there. It's like they, yeah. he's never on TV over there. Yeah, it's 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 weird, man. Um, I don't know what to make of it. It's um, you know, a guy with that talent. You know, it's it's hard to get. And and if you remember, at this point in time, when they go into in a couple of months, when they go into COVID mode, we were talking about this at times. Raw would be like the Andrade and Zelina Vega variety hour. Garza, like, Carrillo, they had everybody out there. Yeah. They should be interacting with multiple. It's so weird. They were like an hour of the show, and I'm not mm-hmm. exaggerating. No, like they'd have you know, multiple matches. It would be yeah. like. Carrillo versus someone, and then it would turn into a tag, and then it would turn into a six man. Yep. Like, and yep. they would go through multiple segments because sometimes they were the only people around the fir- those first few months, and they didn't have a lot of people traveling. And it was like, yeah, we're gonna, we just got to use who we have here. It crazy that crazy. Yeah. You know, you, you just like a guy like that. Even if you don't have something for him, like, don't you just want him to be someone you can use for fifteen minutes in the ring every week? Yeah, I mean, on, on Monday or Friday, when at Smack, like, just like that's the thing with Ricochet that I, they're starting to do a little bit more. It's like you have some of these guys that are just really good in the ring. At the very least, don't you just want them to be wrestling on TV? Yeah, uh, across yeah. from your whoever you're building up. At the least, I mean, you know? Rick, Ricochet does things that literally nobody else can do, um, and that's the perfect flip the channels guy. And Ricochet actually has a pretty cool moment in this Rumble that. Yes. uh that we'll yeah. talk about, which I was like, I kind of forgot about that. Like, that's like one of the biggest moments of his life so far. It, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. But you, you're, 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 you're right about, you know, Andrade. I mean, what about him? You know, what did you determine is missing? I mean, he's got the look. He's got the charisma. Maybe, you know, obviously, maybe the mic work, but you, you stuck him with Zelina Vega. It worked just fine. He's obviously good in the ring. What what about him did you make a determination that he's not a guy that could be a focal part of a show. I, and I they're, and they've always been it. looking for the Hispanic star because there's such a market. They yeah. know that 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 with Guerrero and Mysterio and anytime they were trying to force we we talked about it a few weeks ago. They were trying to force Del Rio into that role yeah. over and over and over again. And if you and have this guy some, was organic. This guy oh, was organic. Yeah. yeah. It was it, it was perfect. People were he had the Elidolo and everything when he came in. Um so yeah, just a, a bummer. Um, that someone who was really talented had a great run in NXT, and this hasn't re- been able to recapture what made him the top guy uh, there for a while. Who did who did he beat for the NXT title? Did he beat was it Drew McIntyre? Was it, was, it, was it Drew? Was it Drew? Yeah, I think it was he, Drew. And then did he lose to Gargano, or he had that incredible banger with Gargano? He had that great match with Gargano. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. That yeah. was an awesome match there. Yeah. So yeah, he was in that uh that little range. Um, Andrade. We'll see if he can uh, he can kind of write the ship over on AEW. But we're talking about the opening, uh, the Royal Rumble 2020. Before we get into the opening match, we got a video package here that had Austin. I thought this was really well done, as like all of the WWE's are for the most part. You got him talking about the Rumble, and he's like watching clips of it, kind of talking over it, and. He it was really cool, and I thought Minute Maid was very well set up. The whole mm-hmm. look of this rumble was felt it felt like a mania almost. It really was was awesome. 
It, it was. It, it had a big fight feel to it, as they say. It, um, you know, I thought the place looked great. It's Minute Maid is is a kind of oddly configured um, stadium, so they did a great job making it look like just about any other stadium. Um, you know, the crowd was electric. They had forty some odd thousand people. Um, you know, I remember the build up to the Rumble. There was a lot of rumors about who was coming back, and there were. There were people that were in a hotel across from Minute Maid who could see in as they were doing like some of the test entrances. And I remember that somebody tweeted out that the MVP came up on the screen, you know, so uh, <laughs> and you knew that he was coming out. That's before great. Then. And, yeah, it's and funny were, about how these things get leaked, right? It's so funny. It's, it's amazing. It's just you can't you can't avoid it, you know, in, in current the current world of technology and the internet and social media, you know, they kept advertising, they kept, promoting. Sometimes yeah. they'll get ahead of stuff. They'll, they'll, someone will leak a, you know, a, what a match that's supposed to be for a few weeks later down the line. And people kind of put, it's, it's funny to see the, the internet sleuths too try to put it all together. <laughs> it is. It is. I, nobody, you know what it is, man. I, nobody wants to just be surprised anymore. Which is know? weird. I, I do. I do. I do. You know, I do. I edge. I mean, I, I, I remember talking about it beforehand. I predicted that I thought Edge was coming back because there was rumors that he had been working out for six months and he grew yeah, I think his hair once back we heard out. that he was cleared, then yeah. it was like, oh, okay, he's he's healthy enough. Then yeah. okay, he's gonna come back because that yeah. guy just is he missed a decade. Yeah, yeah, and it's a part of me was saying, you know, well, he's cleared, but he's now, you know, he's in his mid forties. He still had to stop wrestling because they told him the wrong hit could paralyze him. You know, is he really coming back from that? Um, and and obviously he did, and it's been phenomenal. But uh, that you know that was a, a surprise that the, at least they they kept the fact that you know people thought he might come. But we've had to listen. There's been a lot of guys and a lot of people that we've predicted or thought were going to be surprise entrants in the Rumble that don't show up. So Edge could have absolutely been, yeah, he's medically cleared to wrestle, and he doesn't show up. It would have fallen into line with many others that we've talked about before. So they kept that one good. Um, but that's always a fun part of the Rumble for me. You know, the, there's always going to be a couple of surprises. Um, there's always going to be a couple of stupid things like Johnny Knoxville. But, uh, you know, I, I, this particular Rumble, um, I, I thought they, they, they kept the surprises pretty, pretty well, you know, tight-knit under wraps. And the undercard matches were really good. And, and like you said, watching these matches and seeing Andrade U.S. title, and, and it struck with me saying, you know, this guy was a monstrous part of Raw for like three, four months going into this pandemic. And, and it's weird because, you know, we always, you and I, we talk about racing a lot. And there's a real interesting correlation between racing and wrestling where like even with horses sometimes, there's like a flavor of the moment. You know, there are horses that, give you these unbelievable performances and we talk about them for two, three, four, five months. Like this is the next horse. And at that point, they're the best and three at that year old point, or they just ran two yes. bang up races in a row and they're the best horse in training at the time or whatever it is. And right. you, you kind of forget about it. And you know, in six months, it's like, oh yeah, you remember we were talking about that horse? Like Na remember Nashville, the horse Nashville mm -hmm. who won on the Breeders' Cup undercard and mm -hmm. then he got beat and then we didn't see him for a year. That happens a lot. And wrestling is similar. You have it a you have a guy that goes into the into the spotlight for three, four, or five months, and that they feel undeniable. They yeah. get into that moment when Keith Lee is there, or yeah. when whoever is the next one coming up, and it's like it is. You feel undeniable that they will be the champ at some yeah. point. Yeah, and then yeah. it just fizzles for whatever reason. 
Yeah, and, and and Keith Lee we'll talk about later. But I mean, Keith Lee had the moment where Roman at Survivor Series, which obviously was a lift this guy up moment. He has the moment when Brock in the Rumble, same thing. They're clearly telling you this is a guy that we're backing and pushing, and it falls apart. It, it's just, and I understand that there were some things through COVID and he got hurt and yada 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 it slowed the momentum. But at the same time, you don't just give up. No, he's. This, yeah. The fact that you don't realize that he's someone that's on a different tier. He's one of those blue chippers that yep. you gotta you gotta figure out a way to get him on your TV and to make it work. Yeah. And um yeah, and, we'll and we'll get through a lot of them here. Go sad ahead. Reminder, sad reminder in this rumble of a few of those. Yeah, yeah. But we uh we did open up with a, a pretty good match. And anytime that someone gives Corbin crap or if you don't like Corbin's character, like the character now, that's fine. I do think he gets kind of Thrown in as someone who's not a great worker Or who You know the guy can go very well In the ring go back and watch mm-hmm. a lot of his NXT Work he you know He put and you can put him against big guys He can go opposite of smaller Guys this yeah. match maybe this Match goes a few minutes too long But it's it's that's what happens when you have These big brawling Slow kind of falls count anywhere Matches where you're going to kind of lumber around For a little while you get you know, they're all over the place. The English announce table, then they're battling on the barricades. We yep. see them stumble through the crowd. We get uh, the ring, either over by the ring bell, a German announce table there. Um, you know, it's a lot of punches and kicks and big man, but it's it's intense. And Roman's really good at that type of offense. That He looks he's really good throwing punches, kind of taking punches too, and slams, suplexes, all sorts, all that kind of stuff all over, throwing each other into the equipment. And then um, we get a Samoan drop through the table, another Samoan drop through the table, uh, through where the international announcers are, and and then we get Rude and Ziggler who were sort of aligned with Corbin at the time. They come out and they attack Reigns. So here come the Usos to even the score. So, um, I, yeah, at this point, then we're we're you can see like the baseball layout really cool. You know, yeah. like the dugouts and everything where they are. It's it's really cool, a visual. And the and there's kind of like this side match going on with the, the Usos and with Rude and Ziggler, which is like a little bit of a bonus. You get these uh, guys going at it for a little while out here. And this awesome leap by Jimmy, which was just great. He, he just take, yes. jumps off the stage and takes the, all three guys out. Um Good stuff here like this was a lot of fun A good opener got the crowd like really into it Then then comes the porta potty As he throws Corbin into these porta potties that were stacked Like right out in the crowd and he opens The door he puts him in and he Slams the door and he's just Wheeling the porta potty around and he flips It over with Baron inside it It's just just great the crowd's Laughing they're going holy shit And he comes out you know stumbling Out of the porta potty and Roman's Just knocking him all over the place as uh, they're over by the dugout now um, Baron takes control for a little bit He's able to get some uh, some chair shots in But a Superman punch and a spear on the dugout Which looked really great Cool visual Honestly, like I thought this was a really fun match And maybe it went a little long in some spots But I thought it was like a three-star match to pl- Like three-plus-star match um, If you wanted to go three into the three-and-a-half range I'm totally fine with that it was good. Crowd was into it. Uh, lots of fun. Bells and whistles. Both of these guys did great. It's nothing five star, but it's definitely a, an above average, really fun match to start. 
It is. It's an entertaining match. The the one thing that I looked for that we didn't get that I thought they could have incorporated for this particular match, I thought they could have incorporated the fact that they were in a baseball stadium a little bit more. I thought it would have been funny if yeah, you know, like Roman, the uh, like how the AEW did with that Stampede match. Yeah, yeah where they're yeah, all yeah. over the football. You know what I mean? Just yeah, like you said, you got it a little bit with the dugout, but this was the match where they could really take advantage of that and kind of show off where we are. Yeah, I thought it would have been funny if, you know, like Roman came out of the dugout with like, you know, a, a home plate and hit Baron over the head with a home plate. A rosin or bag or something. A, yeah, throw, exactly. Right. You know, yeah. throw a rosin bag at him or threw the rosin up in the air at him. A- anything that you could have. I mean, I would have made it a point to incorporate that element into this match because of Some where baseballs, it was going. Right. You got like a box of baseballs. You're throwing of, up yeah, just start guy. firing balls yeah. at the guy, you know, have yep. a, Handful of bats or whatever, you know. I mean, look at the the Gatorade, the Gatorade bottle. You know, things ready right there, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I I thought, yeah, and maybe that's a little corny because you're in a baseball stand. But you know what? They would have got a reaction. They would all eat it up. You know, if Roman, if Roman walked out of the dugout with a home plate and smacked him over the head with a home plate, they would have loved it. You know, especially in a Corbin match, people want to see Corbin get hit with goofy stuff like that. And it's your opening match at the Rumble. They're hot. Yeah, not a lot of critiques. It was fun. Yeah. It's a good way to get it started. And you were the spear on top of the dugout was a nice finish. It's so funny to hear these people at this point with Roman, where his know. music come out and they cheer, and then they it. kind of boo. Like it's like, oh wait, we're we're supposed to not like this guy, right? Yeah. I think. And then it's like, oh, the match starts and gets going, and then they get right back into it again. It yeah. just was. And then when, and when he wins, they pop. You yeah, know? I I get it. He's against Corbin, and nobody likes Corbin. But it's just it's just so funny because it's like, okay, in this match, we're gonna like you. You know, yeah. this yeah. match you we're gonna like what Sheamus, you do. Yeah, we'll probably you like know. you too. Yeah, yeah we're gonna <laughs> like you, you know, the porta potty stuff. All right, yeah, yeah, we like that. We don't like rude, we don't like Ziggler. Yeah, this is cool. Flying Superman punches off the tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we like you. Then you come out in the rumble, boo! <laughs> it's it's so just bizarre. It's, it's the so, same guy. So it's funny. the same guy. Can you imagine what like a reaction that a wrestler would have had like 25 years ago if they walked out and they did they uh, like imagine Bret Hart, right? In the 94 Rumble, comes out in the tag team match and gets cheered, right? And then comes out in the Royal Rumble and walks through the curtain. It didn't mean it wouldn't happen. It just it just, would have stopped. You'd be like, "What the hell are you doing? What is going on? Did somebody yeah. press the wrong button or something yeah. here? Like, like what? They play the wrong movement? Then I walk out the wrong time? Is there somebody <laughs> behind me? Like what? what? It's just bizarre. But uh, you know what? It, my, the modern wrestling fan is a is a booker before they're anything else. They like guys in certain situations. You take that guy in the same night. You put him in a different situation. They don't want him there, and they let you know about it. It's 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 wild. <laughs> So uh, we go to we go to the back, and it's KO getting ready in the locker room with Samoa Joe. They're talking about the Rumble. Uh, Kevin Owens is talking about having a, a no good success in Houston. He won the Universal Title there and the IC Title. They both want to eliminate Seth Rollins, and they kind of joke about how, oh, well, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win. You know, the typical couple friends joking about the Rumble stuff there. Uh, we then got Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, Fire and Desire, Mandy. As uh, they were interviewed by Kayla Braxton And so, this is when Sonya Kind of had that crush Listen, on I, I just gotta say something okay? And I don't want to be this guy But this might be The best ring gear In the history of women's wrestling This night on Mandy Rose It she, is 
unbelievable. She looks like such a star. Oh, my she just god. looks like such a star. It's oh my god, pretty nuts. That's insane, insane. So, and Mandy ends or Sonya ends up now saying, "Everybody's fast forwarding." Like, oh, oh yeah. okay, let's get there. Here we go. Here we go. Rumble 2020. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, Sonya said she cares so much about her partner that if they were the final two, she would eliminate herself instead of Mandy. Because that's a bit of a weird, a little bit of a weird line, but okay. And Mandy was kind of like, "Oh, okay, uh, awkward." Over the top rope, no problem. See you later. (laughs) And then, oh man, again, just like remembering where we were, they mentioned Kobe and and his daughter as uh, she had just passed. They had just passed earlier in the day in that helicopter crash. Yeah, I remember because I was dri- I was driving home from a birthday party with uh, I took my son to a birthday party and we were in the car and uh, we started the, all of a sudden the phones just started going but boom but boom but boom and it was the same day. I re- it was uh, that was watching that back was surreal. It really was. It, it, it yeah, it doesn't even feel. It's one of those things where it's like these last couple of years they both at the same time feel like things happened yesterday and then ten years ago. How yeah, but how was that two years? How, it's so, how, I mean, that's crazy, man. It is. It is. Oh, and for man. you, I mean, for you, listen, I mean, it affects it affects all of us because we all grew up watching, you know, that generation of basketball. But, you know, I'm trying to put like as a, as a you as a fan. Oh, my gosh. You man, know, like, I, for me, that would be like if that happened with like I get, it's you know, getting like the like just like talking about it, yeah. you know, is get like I'm getting the goosebumps, you know, coming uh, talk. It's. Unbelievable, and whether you liked the guy or didn't, or rooted for him or against, he was just such a star and a polarizing figure here in LA. I mean, uh, being here his whole career, everything he meant. I mean, honestly, too, a lot of like the for me, I'm gonna be right, I'm gonna be wrong a hell of a lot more than I'm right, probably about everything that, especially picking races, picking gambling and analysis and stuff. But for me, like the work ethic, I think always. Growing up and sort of watching how hard he worked, listening to how hard he worked, having hearing him always talk about the work, the work, putting in yeah. the work, that yeah. really registered with me as a kid growing up. Um, yeah, yeah, it's playing true. sports and yeah. like I always wanted to run a few extra sprints or do a little bit more because it was like, oh, if Kobe's gonna do it, I can, I, I gotta do that. There's there's an interview with him that um, I forgot. I, I don't remember who was asking him the question. But he said it, the question was very direct. And the question was, if if Shaq worked as hard as you, what would he have been? And and without hesitation, he said he would have been the greatest basketball player of all time. Yeah. He's, he, you know, he, that was he one of his it, frustrations with him. You know, yeah. it's like how you kind of have, are if you're one of your friends or maybe if you were a, a, a teacher and there was this really gifted student in your class that you could tell if they just did a little more work. You know, you, you know, just what's, studied what's, a little more. What, what's interesting, and it kind of connected with me as a Yankee fan. Kobe and Shaq were uh, were a modern day version of Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. That's because funny. Roger Maris was a hard worker, mm-hmm. you know, just nose to the grindstone. I'm all about the game. Put in every piece of effort that I possibly can to be as good as I possibly could be, and it drove him crazy that either batting right in front of him or right behind him in the lineup. Is in for him is the greatest b- gifted, talented baseball player he's ever seen. Guy who could just show up, and he didn't understand how mm-hmm. he could just be so cavalier about it and not yeah. put the work in and and go out drinking and partying and 
you know, the, the, there was the line in the movie 61 where he said, how could you do that? You're Mickey Mantle, for Christ's sakes, you know? And and that's kind of like the sentiment that you got from Kobe and Chad. It was. But Kobe was a guy that you're right. In the beginning, I, I got the impression that he was a guy that, like, over time, people kind of grew closer to him as he yep. went throughout his career because he was very polarized in the beginning. Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of issues. But as he got older and matured and started a family – and did all the things, the charitable things, and the philo, uh, philanthropy, and, and all that stuff. Uh, it seems like the city kind of embraced him in those last five, six years a lot more than they did in the first fifteen. Absolutely, yeah. I think he and he, like you were saying too, he did a really good job when he got older of just being a lot, a lot more, a lot like not a lot nicer of a guy. Well, but people mature. You yeah. got to realize, you, you, you know, know he's he twenty five years old playing basketball. He's a kid. He, and you you're, know. you got, you don't have a kid, or you don't have like a family quite yeah. yet. You know, you're not like a, a parent quite yet. You don't, you know, things are different to you. What's important to you is that right in front of you, and then things change. You know, yeah. But um, yeah, if you make me, if you make me a world renowned superstar at 23, 24 years old, and I'm and I'm sitting on two hundred million dollars, and I've and and but pardon the expression, but I got the world by the balls where i could do anything i want you're gonna be that i'm gonna be an asshole every anybody, anybody would there. And, and then you'll realize I, you'll realize later and like okay that's what that's what maturing and growing yeah. up all is right, all about I'm 32 years old i'm married i got three kids that's the old me i grew up i realized my mistakes and now i'm gonna be a man you know that that's a common tale you know you can't you can't hold people accountable for every minute of their life, especially when you take a guy who comes out of high school, becomes an international superstar in a matter of hours and, and is thrown all the money in the world. You don't know. You can't handle that at 20 years old. It's insane. You know, you, you, you and if you expect people to, you're just going to be disappointed. I think that's one of the things, too, that I like. I loved it. The guy is he flawed. Right. Did made it made a ton of mistakes, did things. But we saw him grow up completely. From yep. 17 years old yep. all the way up through and make all those mistakes in front of us in the public eye, kind of like one of the first people ever. Now, we've seen LeBron and some of these other stars do it, but to see someone so young grow up before you, that take the wrong turns here and there and then come out on the end, right? You're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. But at the yeah. end, if you're the best version of yourself, that's what you want. And that's so, it's the one thing about Jeter. And, and you don't know what he did privately. You don't know. But. The fact that that guy in New York City was able to go his entire career, you know, without a single scandal, it's you know, unbelievable. It's, it, it, yeah. And I mean, there were little things like dating Mariah Carey and nonsense. Like, I think at one point in like 1999, they were talking about the fact, oh, you know, he's going out to nightclubs. Like, that was like the big deal. You know, Derek Jeter seen out at one o'clock in the morning on Saturday night. And it was like, oh my God, here we go, you know. But the, I mean, the guy, like, the the guy the starting shortstop for the Yankees a future Hall of Famer another guy that's got the world by the balls and and somehow for twenty years he didn't take a misstep that's impossible impossible unbelievable uh, job by Jeets to to stay and it just showed the respect that people had for him too that they yeah. uh that they didn't they didn't even if he, if he was doing anything it was like up to the captain we'll we'll let him go you know what I mean? you, never, was, you never heard it you never no. heard it no and I'm sure we're not perfect I'm sure he made a mistake or two but nobody wanted to ever hold but it against him it makes it. you it makes you wonder like if somebody had something on him you write a book you're a millionaire you know what I mean I mean all the women that he oh, dated absolutely. or people that he hung out with in the mid twenties if there was anything somebody writes a book. You know, there, my there must not months, have been much too, that's right? What I'm saying there, there, there just couldn't have been, been that much. much. Yeah. It yeah. couldn't have been. We uh, we jump into 
So this was hilarious. We're getting we get ready for the women's Royal Rumble, and it's Tom Phillips and uh, Corey Graves and Jerry Lawler joins. And Tom Tom says this could have been really dangerous. Yeah. He says he says to Jerry, "Hey Jerry, you've been in a few of these Rumbles," and and I was like, "Uh oh, uh oh." And Jerry says, well, "I've never been in a women's Royal Rumble, but that was my, that'd be my idea of heaven." I mean, that was. That was great from King. Yeah, I think that could have been ten years, twenty years before King. I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot. And and as I heard Tom going there, I'm like, no, we're not going to get something bad from King. But you know what? This just like we were saying with getting older and wiser, this was tastefully done and still had all the Jerry the King that we needed in there, right? It it did. It it got the point across without crossing the line, which mm-hmm. is what you which is what you want in that situation. <laughs> but you're exactly right. You're sitting there going, oh, oh no, you know? <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> As I'm hearing you play out, I was like, and I, I you you could almost feel Tom go, oh, like when yeah. he said it, he oh. was like, oh no, this is yeah. floating out there in the ether now, and it's just like, where is he gonna take? And well done, Jerry. I almost yeah. wonder if Vince or someone was like King. King, King. <laughs> <laughs> so we get the uh, the women's royal rumble and we kick things off with number one alexa alexa bliss and number two bianca belair from nxt she got a really I for- nice i forgot what alexa bliss looked like when she was normal in the... just a normal normal <laughs> yeah. alexa bliss not the... Not whatever version it is now. Whatever you know. this is now, um, but they are gonna they're gonna be in for quite a while here. They have a little back and forth at the beginning, and then number three we get Mighty Molly, who super underrated all time uh, in women's wrestling. You know, she didn't quite have like the star power personality. She had moments, she had moments, but yeah. really good in the ring. You can set her up against anyone, and she was actually one of the best. And she she trains wrestlers now. She was one of the better uh, better in ring workers uh, early on. We got number four, Nikki Cross. This was um, Nikki when she and Alexa Bliss were friends, and they were on a tag team. So Nikki comes in. She goes right after Molly, and then she goes after Bianca and uh, Alexa and and Nikki form their little alliance here. They hug in the ring and. Then uh, we get um, Number five Lana So first five through um, Molly, Bianca Alexa, Nikki And Lana As Lana tells Houston to welcome The greatest WWE superstar She said she's better than all of you pathetic losers And this was something that I honestly Had almost like blocked out of my mind That she mentions her hot, hot husband Bobby Lashley. I for, I know. I thought I, I was, was like, no, wait, what? <laughs> I know. I was. I was like, oh, Rusev. What, Bobby Lashley? I forgot I was, all about oh, that terrible storyline. Oh my so god, bad. Yeah. Um, so she goes over and goes at Alexa. So first five in. Bianca was a nice surprise. You always knew they were high on her. Alexa yeah. is someone that you sort of could. Get the sense with Alexa coming in one That she was probably going to have one of those Long runs because they've always liked Alexa too So you know you, you might feel that c- Coming into this rumble Charlotte was the, the pretty big favorite Here a lot of people sort of got The sense that she was going to win this thing I, I, and, see, I thought a lot of people thought Shayna was winning Oh I, you know, I, I, no yeah, no you're, you're right It was yeah Shayna, Shayna was The one who people were expecting to I think it was yeah. like Shayna Charlotte Charlotte didn't really Have much going so yeah, you're right. Shayna was more of the favorite, and you could tell when she came in that you know 
people were behind her and she was booked really well in this rumble. You know, she looked like a badass. We'll, we'll get to her when she comes out at thirty. When, when, she, came out, when, she, yeah, when she when she when 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 she came out at thirty, I remember I went. You don't normally win from thirty. This is interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, it's the um, traditionally booked. You know, unless you're going to do something like you do in the men's rumble with Brock running through people, it's the, the traditional booking of having two people out on the top that have star power that are going to last for a while. Uh, you know, these two guys, two guys, excuse me, two, two female wrestlers, I uh, stay in for half the rumble. They're both in for 26 minutes, 33 minutes. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's smart booking. Then right behind them, you bring out, you know, the hall of fame or mighty Molly comes out. You get, then you get Nikki cross who obviously is aligned with Alexa bliss. So you've got the first four booked perfectly. Mighty Molly's actually in this rumble for 10 minutes. And then you got Lana coming out and doing her little shtick, which, you know, whatever. She's going to be one of those people that just get kind of planted in there. Um, but, yeah, this is this is Royal Rumble 101 to start. Uh, smart booking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, you got Bianca out there, too, ready to th- – this is where she starts to make a name for herself in, 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 in the spotlight. You know that she's going to be a future star. Yeah, our next section, probably not real – Contenders to win quite at this point We get number six Mercedes Martinez Who was up from NXT And now she's in AEW And she I've actually announced her in person A few times She's a really really great in ring worker She's another one that you just felt like WWE she just would be good to have as a have there like a, you could slot her in spots all the time. You could have her be in a tag. You could have her be, uh, you know, uh, an evil heel for whoever champ you want, like an enforcer type person, which is kind of the role that she's had over there. So there are some, and we never like. It's so hard for us to say because, I mean, we've all worked in companies. You don't ever know what somebody's like. You don't know right. what the relationships are like backstage behind. You don't know why someone's leaving, why they're here, what's going on. So we all just we see people leave, and it's like. What did WWE do? Why did they do that? We never know, right? I mean, some of these people probably just for whatever reason it didn't work out. You don't get along with someone. It's time mm-hmm. and you move on. Um, Liv Morgan is number seven. Uh, so when, for all forty seconds, which yeah, is Liv's, It's funny thinking about where Liv is right now. You'd probably yeah. feel like this year she'll have a nice Rumble run. She's been in uh, title sh- uh, picture recently with Becky. Um, we got a nice. German suplex from Martinez And uh, she goes after Lana Liv at number 7 She comes in and She goes right after Lana And she eliminates Lana So Lana was actually the first woman uh, woman Eliminated uh, at this point And then Martinez Puts Liv on the apron And Lana ends up Coming out and eliminate, uh, eliminating Liv So they kind of go at it for a little bit Liv as Darren mentioned was only in there for A minute and uh, Morgan and Lana are brawling outside Number eight, it's Mandy And so when she comes in, there are six in the ring As the, it's funny, one of the, uh, like I'll look at and kind of write some of my notes down And I'll always like look through a couple other recaps And kind of curious to see what people have for some of their match ratings and rankings I always like to see if I'm off from others And this one says Mandy Rose wins for outfit of the night. <laughs> yeah, outfit of the outfit of the year. Exactly. Um, she comes in and she goes right after Nikki. It's, like a, it's like a diamond dipped in gold. It is just yeah. <laughs> wow. And uh, then we get number nine, uh, Candice LeRae from NXT. Another one that a I've lot actually called of NXT wrestlers. I think a yeah. dozen in the match. Yeah. Um, she comes in missile drop kick off the top. 
And then her and uh, Nikki go a uh, springboard moonsault or springboard moonsault on Nikki. Bianca eliminates Molly. So after Candice, uh, we're back down to six. When Sonia enters at number ten, we have seven in. And so there was a great spot right before Sonia comes in at number ten, where uh, Alexa goes to throw over Mandy, and it looks like. Mandy's gonna get tossed off because she's on the apron yep. And we, we only see the shot They filmed this really well We only see Mandy fall off And it looks like Mandy has just You know been dumped to the floor And then they show that Otis Is laying on the floor And he caught her and he's holding her up nice. And it's just great And she she kind of looks down at Otis And she smiles And Otis is like yeah baby Oh yeah oh Oh yeah, he's doing his little Otis. Yeah, I'd, be, actually, I'd, be, I'd be making those same sounds of Landy right, just ooh, landed Mandy, on top of me. Ooh, yeah, yeah. she. I don't know if she was like really supposed to do that much or not, but she definitely cr- like popped. Like she kind of smiled herself. I think she was, you know, that was what she was supposed to give him a little look. But she she was kind of glowing because it was a pretty funny kind of cute spot, you know. It, the crowd loved it too. Crowd absolutely loved it. It was probably one of the spots of the night. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't. I, I can only imagine what Otis is thinking. He's like, oh, yeah. "Can you imagine? Can you imagine laying on the underneath floor her right there and, yeah. looking, and looking up at Mandy Rose Woo-hoo. in this outfit, just falling on top of you? Not a bad I, place to be, Otis. No, yeah. I would. I would have just. That's one of those moments where it's like, just take this all in because you're never gonna be in that spot again. <laughs> um, no, it was. It was really funny. Um, they obviously had a they obviously got a kick out of working together back then. And uh the yeah, the crowd ate it up. Obviously, Mandy and Otis ate it up. Um, it was it was a cool spot. And uh yeah, it's funny. It's just one of those it's one of those spots that don't mean anything in terms of the outcome of the rumble, but it's one of those spots that you always remember. Um and uh, and they did it, they did it well, they filmed it well. Um you talked I, about this when we were doing the history of the rumble. It's a moment. Moment. It's yeah. a rumble moment. And yeah. we we started to see these. You know, I think it was like 91 was that the or 90 with Hogan 90, Warrior. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was when they started to kind of get what they had there that they yep. could do a few of these each year. And uh yeah, this is this was a lot of fun as uh we're on to number 11 now, Kyrie Sane. Ah, she was great too. Yeah. Really fantastic in the ring. Love that elbow drop that uh, elbow. that she could do. Before she comes out though, um, um Mercedes got eliminated, Mandy and Sonya eliminate her. So Kyrie's number 11 at this point She was one half of the women's tag team champions She brings in the Umbrella she hits the double clothesline She uh, Head scissors and then running neck Breaker um, she Counters a suplex and then the Alabama slam she's all over the place there As Mia Yim Comes out at number 12 uh, Gosh so much NXT here and yep. Mia Yim Just never really did much at all in the main roster I think she was the female in retribution Right, yeah, but she, that's right. yeah, but she and she is actually is she married to or fiance of Keith Lee? They're they're yes in a relationship. I know for sure. Um, that's why but, Keith Lee had a missed time because I remember she tested positive and there was a whole lot of uncertainty about that. Yeah, uh, that's what a it few was. months it, after this. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So she's number twelve. Uh, she comes in neck, neck breaker, then eat defeat, and we get Bianca uh, or Alexa saves. Nikki saves Alexa here at this point uh, Bianca Alexa still going strong throughout And 
We get Sonya who accidentally punches Mandy and then Otis caught, uh, catches Mandy and then so and then uh, Sonya, Mandy, Otis. <laughs> it's just fun, more funny stuff. So it ends up leading to um, Sonya and Mandy both hitting the ground. So they're both out here as uh, you know. I think they could have gone a few more like spots with Mandy and Otis. I've done it a couple times, yeah. Right, like a, a few times. more times because Mandy wasn't going to win this, but you could have right. maybe done it once or twice more because the crowd seemed pretty into this. As uh, it's funny 13. now because if she shows up in the Rumble this year, you could say she's probably one of the contenders. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny how wrestling works like that. And this is like Mandy was always someone who you could tell. Okay, she's got the look. She's got a presence to her. She's strong too. She's strong. She's, she's strong. like she's not like a tiny little skinny nope. Nope. like girl that barely weighs a hundred pounds or anything. Nope. She's and she she's always been at the very least. Like fine in the ring, yes. No, never, never she's just better, like she's, awful. she's better now. She's better, yeah. Now. And now yeah. she's better. But even when she just came in, she was she was still fine. She wasn't yep. like one of those girls that they had to, or any wrestler that there was a project for them that they really had to turn in. She's she's obviously needed to get better. But right now, no doubt about it. With the the toxic attractions, this is the best version of her, hands down, hands oh down. Yeah, it's just far. like she's all of the little pieces of things that she was had all come together. You know. Yep. And it's hard for someone like her because I don't know if she'll ever be a great baby face because she's just such a good looking, you know, like it's just so easy to to cheer, to like boo her for most people because she's gorgeous. You know, she might be someone that's hard to just be like this great generic baby face. She might always be best as kind of the bitchy heel girl, you know, think she's better than you because she's so hot. And um, yeah, it works. It works well for her now in NXT. We'll see if she pops up in the Rumble. Dana Brooke popped up. At number 13, Dana runs down to the ring. She actually knocks uh, Mia Yim and Santon Bomb on Yim. And we get Bianca Candice going at it for a little bit. And she throws Candice out. So at this point, Bianca already has five eliminations now. And so she's the one that they're really pushing as the, uh, the, one, the strong one to try to get over here. At least in the early part of this match. Tamina. Uh, no one's meaner than Tamina at number 14 Super kick on Dana Super kick on Alexa Tamina and Bianca have a little standoff there But Tamina just runs at her Yeah, <laughs> not, not the best tactical move She just yeah. runs and Bianca just ducks yeah. And she's out So there's number 6 that Bianca has eliminated which Thank is you actually, for playing yeah. <laughs> At this point um, that was actually the record the sixth elimination, and she's only halfway through this match. It's the most ever in a women's rumble. This so was only got, the third. You're gonna have two women in this match that are gonna eliminate more than half the wrestlers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. As uh, Dakota Kai is 15, she comes in and she goes after Alexa, hits a running kick. Um, Mia Yim gets eliminated by Alexa here. So at this point, we have Alexa, Bianca, Dana Brooke, and Dakota Kai, just four in. Five when Chelsea Green comes in at number sixteen. I I forgot about this right. even that she was in this rumble. She yep. comes in with Robbie E. Robert Stone, and she actually comes right in and dumps out Dakota Kai and right away. Yep, immediately. But then Bliss gets rid of her. Yeah, but then she gets tossed like right after. <laughs> so literally, yeah, she, she she eliminates somebody and was in the Royal Rumble for twelve seconds. 
it's crazy to get be yeah eliminate someone and get eliminated in 12 seconds that's almost hard to do it's, it's, it's like hard. it's very pretty hard yeah uh, so chelsea green who shout out if you're not paying attention right now chelsea green yeah, yeah, and yeah. zach Ryder and um Joey Janela have been doing this really funny storyline online. The Macho Man, Ric Flair, uh, Miss Elizabeth with the photoshopped pictures stuff. So if you if you have a few minutes and you want to go down a rabbit hole, check that out. It's been a lot can, of fun. Can, can I can I tell a funny Matt Cardona Zach Ryder story? So number one, pro- props to him because he took uh, a bad situation and getting released and probably turned it into the best thing that's ever happened to him. Oh um, yeah. He's a, he's the hottest thing on the independent scene right now. Yes. Hands down. And and you people could say, "Oh, whatever, it's the independent scene." <laughs> Don't say that. Because when you're the hottest thing on the independent scene, eventually that comes full circle and you end up in a very good spot. Uh and but so uh if you follow Matt Cardona/Zack Ryder, you know that he is a Disney World fanatic. And he's he lives down there and and him and Chelsea Green are there all the time. Um so a few years ago we were in Epcot uh, eating at the pizza place, uh, Bella, Bella Napoli, Via Napoli, Via Napoli. Um, and we're sitting there on Instagram and I look and I say, holy shit, Zach Ryder is at the pub in the UK, like in, in the world showcase at Epcot. And they're like, come on. I'm like, look, he's there. I'm like, I'm like, wait, Dolph Ziggler's there. <laughs> Like like there's like four guys So we're like check 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 please (laughs) We go flying down to the pub To try to get them Of course we get there None of them are there anymore (laughs) They're all yeah We're sitting there I I forgot it It was was Ziggler I think it was Ziggler uh, It was definitely Ziggler and Ryder And there were like two or three other guys It could have been like I I don't know uh, One of the guys from American Alpha back then Or something like that But it, it was like Oh my god, these guys are literally like 500 feet from us. We have to go right now. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, they're they're great, man. Ryder is great. He's a big wrestling dork with his figures yeah. all over. Yeah. They're big Disney dorks and Universal Studios. They love the Halloween horror nights. They would post stuff all. So they have fun. Um they have a lot of fun and he's he's doing a great job. He's he thanks Vince job. all the yeah. time. He plays a, a great heel. He'll go into the independence and he'll just like cut these great promos about Vince. Yep. I feel like Vince McMahon taught me so much and everyone will start booing him. This is really good. It, so. it is. It, it's it's an interesting angle. You never hear people do that before. It, he's, no. That's his own thing. And, and it's awesome. so, so separate from the woo, woo, woo. Like yeah. what got him over initially was yeah. being this dorky, like lovable baby face, you yeah. know? And now he's like the opposite playing this. Oh, it's good. It's just, yeah. he's a ta- he's got a lot of talent and they're they're doing a good job. They're finding what works for him. Chelsea Green, shout out to them. They look like they have a lot of fun. They're, by uh, the way, I'm not a fan of the death match stuff. No, you know, me neither. I, I, I'm not, I don't like it. No. You know, I don't like it. For me, that's not wrestling. That's just gore. I don't either. And that's not what I'm in it for. So, I, But I will put a pin in that. And aside from that Nick Cage stuff, everything else that he's doing is phenomenal. Yeah, he, he showed up on Impact uh, not long ago. And yeah, he, he he's all over the place. Yep. Good stuff for uh, Ryder slash Cardona. As we are up to number 17 So after Chelsea Green 16 she gets eliminated She gets dumped out by Dakota Alexa then throws Chelsea And then Alexa Ends up moving out of the way And Dana Brooke gets eliminated there So that's number 7 for Bianca As we get a cool spot that we would see With uh, 
with like Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog, where they were back to yeah. the the first two who started it all. That's and where that, that's always a great spot. Yeah, especially when you're this far in, right? You're yep. 17 in, and it's like, oh wow, we're right and, back to where we started. It, and it's done with a purpose, and it's done with a purpose to show everybody. By the way, in case you forgot, these two were in at the start, and they're still in now. And that's it's like the a, purpose of doing that. It's cleaning out the ring a little bit because here comes number 17, Charlotte. Yep. And you just get that difference. She walks in and it's just you knew, and okay. you knew that you knew that was coming. Right. Perfect, perfect booking. When it was them two in the ring, you knew the next person was Charlotte. And Bianca makes the face like, oh no, no, you know, she's like, I'm she's exhausted. And then here comes Charlotte, completely fresh, number 17. And she struts her way down to the ring and she uh chops to the chest of Bianca. And uh Bianca and and Charlotte have a cool little uh little back and forth right here. And um, oh, I guess before she got to the ring, Bianca got eliminated, right? So before she gets there, um, or Alexa gets eliminated by Bianca. Alexa, yeah, yeah. Alexa gets eliminated, and so as Bianca is in the ring, when Charlotte gets in, it's just them two. Yep. And so they go at it for a little while here, um, which is cool. Just a little bit of a tease as like these are two, not only bl- blue chip prospectors, but two of the most athletic women. And if you're gonna tell me, I think a lo- one of the problems that people have with some of women's fighting and women's sports and stuff is that you know in women's wrestling you you'll have a lot of the smaller females maybe the smaller fighters that you won't believe these are two females that i believe could kick anybody's ass oh yeah you know like and they're not big they're just athletic incredible athletes i think for charlotte it was volleyball bianca it was like track and field track and field yeah and just stuff. incredible and long jump and stuff like that and so it's really cool to see these two as you just you you didn't have women's athletes like this in women's wrestling twenty years before. Mm-hmm. No, you know, like the best athletes in the world that were females weren't in wrestling. You know, they didn't they didn't train and wrestle. They would play their sports and stuff. But these are women that could. They're so good, and so I just love this little moment with the two of them as we got to Naomi at number eighteen. Which and, gets a big pop because I think she was returning at this. Yeah, point. she was out for a few months here, yeah. like about six months, I think. And she's got the big, uh, she got the big hair here, and she goes after Bianca, and talk about another freak athlete, Naomi, yep. who could do some incredible things in the ring. And then we get yep. another one right here at nineteen with Beth Phoenix, <laughs> who is just as strong as anyone. She comes in at nineteen, and. She was uh, the she just started to be uh, announcing for NXT, I believe. So she goes after Charlotte. She goes after Naomi, Naomi with the springboard on Beth. And Bianca's been in there now for uh, at 30, uh, around 30 minutes. She tries to go after Beth and Flair and Naomi are in the corner. That's when we get to number 20, Tony Storm from NXT UK, who she's recently been released when she comes in DZ. There are five, and I think she asked for her release. I think it wasn't, you know, she yep. got released because she had just been wrestling for the title against Charlotte. Two weeks later, she's gone. She's gone. Yeah, it, you know, I, I don't know. I read different things about it, saying that you know, as as she moved up, she she wasn't handling the rigors of the travel and the schedule well, and things like that, and needed to take some time to herself and and whatnot. But you don't ever, you never know what the real reason is. You never hear. Um, but yeah, I mean, she got a big pop here too. 
Um, you know, when she, uh, Beth Phoenix at one point, um, she's in the ring, she's in a spot with Bianca where she gets a really bad cut on her head and there oh, is a lot of blood brutal. And then she's in the, and she's in the match yeah, for, for a while, Beth, she's a half in this hour. Thing for 27 yeah. minutes yeah. and it looks like it almost looks like it's, it's so much blood on the back of her head that yeah. it would, it looked like she like, well, rubbed like dyed up her on, hair, like dyed her hair like, or like rubbed up on someone's face paint. Yeah, you know, like she was wrestling against a, you know, Oscar who had a bunch of face paint, and it, you know, they did a move, and it was all. It, it is like that can't be blood. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so much. Yeah, it's a lot. So a lot. much. Yeah, and and I never saw the spot that caused it. Me neither. Yeah, and I tried to look for it, and I can't. I couldn't find it. But uh, Beth tells the story that uh, they believe it happened in the spot with Bianca, and and Bianca after she got eliminated, went backstage and waited for Beth to come back because she thought it was in a spot that she had with her. And when they took, they put Beth on a cart and they took her over to medical and, and Bianca, because she felt responsible, went with her to medical and stayed with her, which is a pretty cool story. That is, that's great stuff. Um, so now we're up to, uh, that was 33 minutes from Bianca. So that was great. I mean, this is her first Yep. Step onto the main roster and you could tell Right away they, they've got big plans for her So much that she's going to win the Rumble next year yep. And coming into 2022 she's probably The favorite to win Yeah, I don't I, know um, if, I don't well, know well, if they'll well, do well, it Back yeah. to back but I, I don't know either you know if you're thinking about it You know who if you go through the roster Right now Unless somebody's coming back A surprise, a surprise. Maybe like a Bailey or a Asuka That they want to win one yeah. of them like um, who? Who do you go to? Because it's not know? they're not going to have Charlotte win as the champ. No, because it, you can you can set up a challenger for Charlotte in the Rumble very easily. It's perfect. Somebody throw her out. Her she can come back and throw them out, and and they can go at it. You could have Bianca win and go right to Becky. I mean, Bianca's going to beat Becky at WrestleMania. That has to be where they're going because they've had be. yeah Bianca get beat, but they don't need her to win the Rumble to get there. No. They can she can do, do, win whatever in the Saudi show, or there can be. You know, any way she gets there, it could be maybe someone like Alexa, mm-hmm. who they're definitely pushing. And then if it's Alexa, they have that built in with Charlotte because that's what she left there. So the women's rumble doesn't seem very obvious at all. No, this year. I, I, I mean, like I said, you know, Alexa's got some vignettes and she's coming back now. So it could, you know, it could be her. Wouldn't shock me um, if she wins it in a kind of weird, creepy way. Uh, you know, certainly could be Bianca again. There's not. You know, if you go through it, a, a lot of them would be rather surprising. Mm-hmm. And that's just a sign that you just can't quite put your finger on where they're going to go. We go to number 21, Kelly Kelly, who is uh, Kelly Kelly. She she wrestled from when she was 19 to 25. She stopped wrestling at yeah. 25 years old. People, I think people forget how young she was yeah. when she was wrestling. Uh, she was like... um. Stacy Keeler was like 19 when she started out too. Yeah. She wasn't really a wrestler, but you know, same, you know. So Kelly, <laughs> she comes in, she gives a stink face to Tony <laughs> Storm. She um her and Charlotte go at it. Beth uh, and Charlotte are going at it a little bit here, but they both avoid elimination. Sarah Logan is number 22. She goes after Charlotte, and Beth and Sarah Logan are going at it. Flair eliminates Sarah Logan pretty quickly. Uh, Kelly Kelly tries to go after Charlotte And Charlotte puts her on the apron And then she hits her with a slap And says you 
bitch right at, right mm-hmm. afterwards which was funny and uh then charlotte eliminates kelly kelly so good to see her but she was uh yeah she was only in there for a moment this is when we really noticed the blood yeah. all over beth you know um cuz what happened was i remember watching it back going oh charlotte was bleeding and then you realize no charlotte's just this is just blood from beth yeah. It's like on Charlotte's face because yeah. Charlotte and Beth have been, you know, going at it with each other. Um, so this did this looked bad. Natty's number 23. So you know Natty and Beth have their history together yeah. as uh Natty comes in and they they work together for a little bit, double power bomb. Zia Lee, number 24. As we haven't really seen her recently, right? She had a couple no. of spots on SmackDown not that long ago where they did the Sub Zero thing that I thought looked really cool with the graphics, and then she just hasn't been around. Nope, nope, she has not. Number twenty-five, Zelina Vega, who is getting in twenty twenty-two one of her best pushes right now. She's working the the Queen gimmick. It gets a little annoying here and there, but she's a good heel, she's and good heel. yeah, she pops in here for a little bit at number twenty-five. So when Zelina gets in there at 25 We have 7 total in the ring And we're getting set for our last uh, stretch But but when Charlotte comes in This this was a very well booked rumble Because the moment Alexa and Bianca You sort of felt like either one of them could win Especially I think Alexa more than Bianca Because Alexa, they've always been pretty high Alexa's always in the you know the title picture or she's around the you know the top women's feuds and then as soon as Alexa gets eliminated Charlotte's in so there's always at least someone that you thought had a big shot to win it there wasn't that part of the rumble where there's five or six people in there and you're like ah none of them have a shot like let's kind of let's speed this up they did a really good job of laying out the the numbers when some of these ladies were going to come in as uh we're at 7 with number 25 and we get to our Final five to go Shotzi Blackheart is number 26 She comes in in Siguri She almost eliminates Naomi And that's where we get the cool Naomi spot DZ which is just Incredible it took a little while It was a little slow but We saw Morrison do something similar She Looked like she was going to get eliminated And she ends up running down the steps And jumping onto the Barricade and Climbing up Sitting on the barricade And she was able to Move herself all the way across Climb onto the Spanish announce table Stand on the table And and then She creates this little bridge with Which the top. I, I'm sitting there going She's going to slide right off that I cannot believe yeah. that she did I cannot believe that she. Yep. It was so, it was really ingenious It was like something you'd, It's like a mousetrap or something, you know, that you're building. It's like, yep. what is going on here? Yep. And, then, and then my only my only problem with this, it's like Vince must get a kick out of watching her and Kofi do these spots and then having them immediately get eliminated. I could just see him now. back there laughing. Oh, well, you know, it'd be great. They get in there and you see them for five minutes. They survive. They yeah. do whatever, and they come back in, and then immediately get tossed. I get. Yep. Oh, 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 oh. Did you see how hard they work to get back? In? And we just <laughs> after. Oh, oh, oh. It just—it's like one of these years when they do these great spots. Can it lead to them being one of the finals or yeah. winning or something? But I'm—I'm I'm amazed that they never screw it up. I—I I can't. 
Like all the, these with different ways that they do this, whether there's it's no way to do it. Coke. If they screw it up, they're out. There's no margin for error whatsoever. None. And they never screw it up. It's amazing. I mean, look, listen, I'm sure they rehearse it and practice it time and time again, but still you, you, you're, you're, you're working in, you know, a they, matter of inches. And then inches. you're out there, the timing's off there. It's yep. sweat. Everyone's sweating. Things get slippery. You know, it just, it's all different. It is. Yep. This, this was super impressive from Naomi and uh, Carmella comes out at number 27. Carmella. So when she comes out, we have eight in the ring now with um, with Carmella and she ends up hitting a spinning head scissors, Bronco Buster on Natty and Beth. Flair hits the natural uh, selection there. We get everyone's getting their big spots. Phoenix with the Grand Slam. And then Beth and Natty send Charlotte to the floor, but just through the ring. Not she's not eliminated yet. Tegan Knox, number twenty-eight. She comes in clothesline on Zelina and knocks. Tegan Knox. Tegan Knox who came back from double ACL tears. Right, and did yeah. she just get recently released? Yes, very unfortunate. Yeah, which is talented girl never could stay healthy. Very no, unfortunate. It was because she's got a lot of star power too and charisma. It just. Some people are so unlucky with their injuries, and you wonder why sometimes. She's 28. Uh, she hits a choke slam, and at this point, Beth's hair is just, yeah. just red, ev- all over the place, just yep. crazy. As we get to number tw- <laughs> number 29. By the Santina. way, if you're saying, "Oh, Darren, I thought you didn't like the blood and death matches," Th- this was an accidental cut. Yeah, this wasn't yeah. like. We're going to jab you and cut you open with blood and pizza cutters. This was a spot that was, she hit the post on accident, you know, um, number 29, Santina. Oh my God. Which the only thing that was funny about this was that Santina and Beth had their past. So when Santina came in, Beth, you knew was going to obviously get pissed. And then Santina ends up eliminating himself. I just, I don't mind having some of these spots in the rumble, like do this at 19 You know yeah, like I, I hate the last few spots I think that nowadays The 27 through 30 kind of Should feel sort of like contenders Yes has to be people that can win Cause it's oh you know, oh there's another one Oh there's another and then Santina comes in It's like oh really and yeah. Santina ends up just Eliminating herself because Beth and Natty were gonna double team her She takes out the Cobra neither of them Even move so she throws herself Out Number 30, Shayna Baszler. And huge reaction. Huge reaction from Shayna. She goes right after Charlotte on the floor. She throws her into the steps. And then at this point, at this point, we've got Shayna, Charlotte, Tegan, Zelina, Tony, Beth, Natty, Carmella, Zia Lee, Shotzi, and Naomi. They're all still in, but not for long because Shayna just starts wrecking women here. Tosses Zia Lee. Picks up Tegan Knox, tosses her immediately, chokes out Zelina Vega, lifts her over the top, throws her out. Uh, Shotzi goes after Shayna. Shayna uh, counters it and flips her over. And then Naomi, at this point, she's still been standing on the announce table. This is when yep. she makes that little run and gets back in the ring. And Shayna throws out Carmella. Shayna throws out Tony Storm. Naomi gets back in and she, and 
uh, Shayna have a little spot for a second, and then Shayna just picks Naomi up and throws her out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did you see that? Baszler got her, pal. <laughs> that was so funny. She was on that table for ten minutes. <laughs> As uh, we've got, she Shayna eliminates seven like instantly, yep. instantly, and now we're down to the final four: Beth, Natty, Shayna, and Charlotte. And we now got, you know it's either it's either Shayna or Charlotte. Yeah, because you know Beth and Natty, neither one of them were going to win. Beth right. definitely not. And this is a great use of Beth. Yep. You know, like have one of these they, legends. They used her and Edge in the exact same way in the same year. Exact same way. Exact right. same way. Yep. Just great people, because it keeps people excited. Even though we know in the back of our head she's not going to win, there are enough Beth fans out there or people that are oh, what, wouldn't it be cool if Beth won? Yeah. You know and. And he, like this year, they've been sort of teasing it with Lita a little bit to where yep. you you maybe wonder or maybe we get a Lita Charlotte match at WrestleMania for the women the other women's title because they get into it in the Rumble. But that you know they've they've been building that a little bit. Um, gosh, you watch this back too, and you're like, how did they miss with Shayna? She, you know, she yeah. she doesn't really cut the greatest promos in the world, but she didn't ever have to in NXT, and she's another one that's like kind of Bret Hart with their promos and that. She, it just she's believable. Yeah, yeah. she doesn't have well, to go well, off well, for twenty she's, minutes. She's a fighter, though. Yeah, so she's you just you, yeah. you believe what she's gonna say. She yep. and that was what Brett did too, because he makes everything seem so real in the ring, like it's a sport. Is that you believe Shayna? She's badass. She's got that history. We know that she could choke any of them out. Yet they could. They for some reason they haven't been able to capture that magic with her that they had in NXT. As um, Natty and Beth are celebrating. And then in Beth turns on Natty and eliminates her the year before Natty had eliminated Beth. So yep. they got even there. Final three as uh, Charlotte tries to go after Beth, but they uh, Beth and uh, Shayna, they're able to avoid. Um, Flair uses uh, Shayna throws out Beth and then Flair is still kind of hanging around. She's able to. Use her legs in an incredibly athletic spot. I think they kind of botched it the first time, though, because then Shayna's got to go back over there again. You can really yeah. tell it was botched, but they just had to sort of do the same spot twice. Um, Charlotte gets the win. She ends up lasting 26 minutes. The match goes 54. I I can understand anytime they want to give Charlotte a win on anything because, you know, she's going to end up being the all-time greatest women's wrestler. And so her her not having a rumble or two wins would probably feel it weird. No sense, yeah. But Shayna was probably the right person here at this moment when she was this hot. This probably would have done I think more for her at the time. Well, yeah. I mean, anybody I mean, Charlotte now is at the point where you can't do anything to really make her any no. more historic. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, she's at she's at that level. She's at she she is at a Hogan-esque level in women's wrestling. She really is. Um there's no way around that. You know, she's at the same level as her father was. Um, and she deserves to because she's phenomenal. She's phenomenal on the mic. She has phenomenal charisma, an amazing presence, and her ring work is insane. And if it bothers you that you feel like they keep shoving her down your throat, there's a reason. She's that damn good. Um, and there's no ifs, ends, or buts about it. There's not a single weakness or a single chink in the armor. That being said, would a rumble win have helped Shayna a lot more here? Probably, but at the same time, it's one of those things, Gino, where yeah, it would have helped her then. Maybe would have helped her for a year. But if you go back now and you're like, well, 
Oscar won a rumble. Look what Nakamura. Happened. Nakamura won a rumble. Look what happened. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't guarantee you that anything. You're, yeah, it doesn't. You know, it, does if, it help you in the moment? Absolutely. Does it give you a big spot at WrestleMania that year? Definitely. Does it mean a year later you might be in a friggin' battle royal? Could because mm-hmm. <laughs> they could? don't. If they don't have the plan for you or yeah. or the right idea for you, it doesn't matter what you win. Doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't matter because yeah. you're going to end up in six months. We're Kofi is a good example because it, but Kofi's great. He's always going to be on TV and stuff. But Kofi doesn't even act like he was in the main event picture nope. all that much. You kind of forget about that run almost. You know. You do. You do, um, and, and it's crazy because if you remember, Mustafa Ali was the guy that was originally supposed to have that run. It was, yeah, and, and and he and he just asked for his release. Yep, it was that that gauntlet match that got yep. Kofi over, and it ran into Kofi Mania, and it was really, honestly, if Daniel Bryan wasn't the champion at that time, I don't know if any of that goes down because he's one of those either. guys in the back that is like, hey, look, I'll make this work. We're gonna, this will be great. Please, people want to see Kofi do that. You know, he was pushing that. I'm sure. So who knows if we even got that We did get here Charlotte Flair getting the Rumble win And I thought it was a great Rumble I really did, they they booked it very well The final few were excellent They had two women Look extremely strong We got some fun spots here Beth looked really good in returning Bianca and Shayna were definitely the stars of the match Oh yeah, yeah I mean, Bianca and Shayna were, Were stamped as Future you know, potential stars. Obviously, Bianca's star rose instantly, and Shane is kind of plateaued. Uh, you know, she never really got to the level that we thought she was going to get to. Uh, but I mean, look, Bianca is a superstar in every sense of the word with the microphone, with the look. Uh, the moment that her and Sasha Banks had at WrestleMania was extraordinary. Uh, you think about, you know, how they were standing there and getting emotional, not just two women. Two black women in a main event at a WrestleMania. It's an iconic moment. Um, and it was one that you can go back and watch and thoroughly enjoy repeatedly. It's a phenomenal match, a phenomenal moment. There's post-match footage of of Sasha uh, leaning up uh, or sitting up against the barricade in tears uh, because of the moment that they had together in the match that they had together. And I'm talking about happy, te- happy tears. Um, so, yeah, Bianca is presented as a superstar Shayna is presented as a beast you're reminded that charlotte is still the head of the table no pun intended and uh yeah and off to wrestlemania season for the woman we go and we had backstage to kayla braxton talking to king corbin who's talking about roman reigns he said he was gonna win the the rumble match there as uh we get in this next match i it's a tough it's a tough spot to be in after a rumble, right? No matter what match you put, it's hard because everybody's up for the rumble. Everybody's so exciting. And whatever is next is going to be sort of the cool down match. And then both of these women, Bailey would get a lot better as a heel to where yeah. she's done some really good work. But this was kind of at the beginning when she was sort of she's not comfortable yet. No, you could tell yeah. she wasn't really wasn't really great as a heel. Now she's got the annoying. Thing down really good she makes you kind of Cringe and gets under your skin and it's great it's like A like a wicked witch of the west Kind of thing you know but and this but is then, One of those things so this is one of those things that'll Drive you crazy because People were getting uh, uh, Bailey and Roman Reigns have very similar arcs When mm-hmm. it comes to how they're You know uh, appreciated or Received 
by the by the fans. In the beginning, everybody loved Bailey. Everybody loved Bailey. The matches that she had in NXT, she had one of the greatest women's matches in the history of wrestling that that we've reviewed and discussed. Uh, she comes up to the main roster, huge pop, wins titles. They People, love when her. she when she was coming up before she got pulled up, and remember, she was the last of the the women yes. to get pulled yes. up, which was kind of weird. You know, they kept pulling. If anyone, she actually seemed like the the most for sure thing. Yeah, of all of them. Now it's yep. it's crazy to say that now in a world where we're talking about Charlotte, Sasha, and Becky, but Bailey was more of a sure thing than her. I remember reading articles. There's one on the ringer from the masked man who does a really good job. He would be he wrote about wrestling for a long time and he has a podcast and stuff where he said Bailey is the next John Cena. Like gonna be bigger. She's gonna be all the kids are gonna love her. She's gonna sell all the merch. Everyone's Which is entirely true. That's exactly it, what happened. Yeah. And it was uh it's it was amazing. But, and but then people want then people were saying you had to change your character, right? I know. People were saying we need they a got heel turn. Sick of it. But then you got a heel turn. And they didn't like the version of the heel that they got. You know, was, they're saying, well, this is stupid. She's whiny. She looks weird, whatever. Well, what do you want? You want I know. You want to present her the same way? Like, but just I, as a heel, that doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. It, 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 wrestling fans will sometimes just drive you batshit crazy. And then you've got Lacey who, they and because of her background and the fact that she's a Marine, and mm-hmm. if you, you know, you read into her, she's been through a lot, and it would be hard not to root for someone like that in real yeah. life. Yep. But she doesn't come off like a baby face on TV for whatever, no, the, for what no. the Southern draw. I don't know whatever it is, whatever the reason she just never came off like the baby face they wanted her to. And so the, the match is a little clunky. It's not the cleanest and the roles kind of seem weird and reversed Yeah, for these two. Like if Lacey was the heel and Becky was the baby face, you feel like it would, that's the best version of this match with these two, but yep. we didn't end up getting it. And I mean, this wasn't like uh, you said offensive or anything, but there were even a couple sort of sp- slip spots where one where Lacey jumps off the top, she kind of slips and goes crashing into Bailey. It just sort of looked kind of awkward. Yep. And um, Bailey ends up going up to the top, and she blocks. Oh, bl- um, it's Lacey that goes up to the top. Bailey blocks a. With a knee block of off a dive And then we get an inside cradle holding the tights It went about nine minutes It just, again, compared this to Like, it it does show you how much Things have changed In the, you know 20 years with women's wrestling To where we're looking at this match That goes nine minutes on a pay-per-view And saying it's disappointing I mean, compare this on a scale Or on a curve to what we were seeing 15 years before and this would have been one of the Better matches that you'll see but We've got a women's royal rumble Right before this with some fantastic Workers the level has been raised This just was a little below average To me it was yeah it was It it definitely was the uh, It definitely was the match on the card That you know didn't check all The boxes and it was put in the right spot It was a cool down match Uh, Like you said Lacey was Kind of a clumsy awkward baby face Bailey was not yet grown into herself as a heel yet. She's still trying to figure it out, which is tough because, like you said, she was the hug the kids, kids lover, Bailey buddies, you know, uh, I'm a hugger, signing autographs, all that stuff. So it's difficult to transition from that into a heel. And it took Bailey some time to get there. And we see that at this point in time. 
like you know, it's not offensive. It's not great. It's it's just an average match. But listen, you know, not every match on every pay per view is going to be a five star match. No, and this is about as good as you're going to find for a four hour show where you know where you're only going to have about you know this match. It's 10, 15, 10 minutes, and it's not even awful. It's just right. eh, okay. It's it could have been okay. yeah. it could have been done a little bit better. So we. Uh, then get video package to set up the Fiend versus Daniel Bryan for the Universal Title. As Daniel Bryan comes out first, lots of yes chance, and then the Fiend. Ah, he's another one, man. Or it's like the look, the vibe, the feel was great. There was this aura when he came in that you felt like the the vibe is changing. Things are changing. This guy is like, and they just screw this up. I mean, after so we get a strap match for the Universal Title. This thing goes seventeen and a half minutes. This thing was, I thought, about a four-star match, which for a strap match, that's really hard to do because they can be slow. They can be a little, just kind of like the Falls Count Anywhere or the, uh, you know, the uh, Last Man Standing. They they can be fun, but they can be just a little bit slow because of the stipulation. You know, you're moving all around and it kind of gets a little dragging. But they were using the, they were, there was no red light. Um, here first, which is great. No fiend red light right, in the match, right, right? And um, and then we just got great stuff. Power bam, er, power bomb early. We get everything felt very intense, and that's what Daniel Bryan does for you, and he still does right now. Is that no matter who he's wrestling, if it's a five minute match on AEW Dynamite, he still makes everything seem very intense. I keep comparing to Brett. I would have loved to see Brett and him in a in a oh, match. God, just yeah. Like working each other, it would have felt so real, and like these guys were really going at it, you know. And, and throw Kurt Angle in there with the two of them and give us a triple threat, you know. Um, it was good. Like they go out, they're outside on the floor. We get the Uranagi head twist, um, at, whip into the steel steps. Daniel Bryan's diving into the fiend, uh, fiend into the ring post three times, running knee off the apron. Um, a flip bump there by Daniel Bryan. Um, he's then the fiends attacking him with a strap again. We're on the German announce table there, and DDT on the table. It didn't break. Then we get the yes chances. Daniel Bryan's kind of whipping the strap at the fiend here. Now we're back in the ring. Missile drop kick from D Bry. We get the yes kicks. The crowd's really starting to get pumped up as Daniel Bryan's kind of firing up babyface style here as uh as he charges. The fiend hits the sister Abigail for two. That's a um, sick sister Abigail. It too. was crazy, yeah. a little different too. The way he came yep. from running and just kind of twisted him around. It was yep. really cool. Uh, more with the strap, we get the mandible claw from the fiend. Then Brian is choking him with the triangle choke, and fiend ends up going back to the mandible claw. We get the label lock submission, and he's using the strap on the face, which is great. I mean, this this looked like the spot. Everybody's screaming for Debry, but uh, Fiend is able to battle out of it. Again, he's using the strap. Daniel Bryan tried to sneak roll up that just missed, and then the knee, the running knee that that felt like it was it, and that was a great, great near fall spot. As the crowd is all over the place now, yes, yes, yes. Daniel Bryan going at him with the strap, and then you know the Fiend kind of. As he's back on his feet, he's like no selling it. He ends up hitting the Uranagi, the mandible claw. He wins at 17 and a half minutes. I mean, they used the strap, they were outside of the ring, they used the tables. It was intense. It really felt more like a fight. 
I felt it multiple times like Daniel Bryan was going to win Both of these guys looked really strong throughout this match And gosh, you're like, how are how are they not going to like this? The Fiend is a great. I remember having the conversation with with you when this was happening. We were saying, how, "Let's see how they screw this up." Is what we right? Were saying. And it was so great. It was like this is one of the more unique things they've done in a while. It sort of felt like when Kane debuted. You know, you got this feel. It was of oh, the entrance. Yeah. The entrance the first time at the SummerSlam was ridiculous. The music was ridiculous. You're just sitting there going, "Oh my god!" Like this is just absolutely incredible. This was and, the second time at a Royal Rumble event that these guys had a four star match. Yeah. A few years true. before, it, uh, when Daniel Bryan didn't end up entering the Rumble and everybody wanted him to that year. And then that was six years before this. Yeah, Amazing. right? Yeah, 2014. Amazing. And then six years later, they have a, another banger of a match. And one of them was with Bray Wyatt, Wyatt family, totally different character than this fiend. Both of those characters, two of the most. Unique, intriguing characters, maybe in all time WWE, and they, and the guy's not even there yet anymore. It, that 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 of all of these people that we talk about that are released and stuff. If I was going to make a short list, Bray Wyatt would be hands down in that top two or three of. How is this guy not still here? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know how they messed it up. I it, it's amazing to me. Um, this, you know, we started to get worried when they, when we, we caught wind of the fact that they were heading towards, you know, fiend Goldberg. And, you know, once that match ended up in Saudi Arabia, then we started to really get worried because weird things happen in Saudi Arabia. And I just, it just made absolutely no sense. It just, you have this figure that is Undertaker-esque and what I mean by that Is you can't beat him You can't kill him all these things That you could do to him it doesn't matter He keeps coming and he beats you And then you take a guy that can't even Move in the ring anymore and you beat him with a jackhammer It was the worst Clean I mean as bad of a Decision as as possible and then What ends up happening too is that Everything starts getting screwed up in the next couple Months like you said with COVID you know, and so a lot of the plans for things moving forward end up changing. And yeah, this was what they do with him moving out of this is such a bummer because right here he comes out of it and he looks great. They both look great, but we knew it ugh. too. When after that happened, we talked and we said it's over. There's no yep. coming back from that. There was not. And he was, and he never was. He was yeah. never, and he became a joke. And then the Alexa stuff, and that's just a full podcast on its own. Yeah. As, uh, well, that's we, what happens, you know. Yeah. Now you start you start grasping for straws because you mm-hmm. mess the whole damn thing up. And you and can never get back to where you were, you know. Nope. Some very rarely can you. I, I guess I can't say never, but it's very rare that you can get back to as hot as as you were or as the place where you were. And um, and, I, and I remember I was because th- that Saudi show. I th- I want to say it was on like a Thursday afternoon or something. Thursday, before. February the twenty seventh. Yep. Yeah. And and like I have in my office downstairs in my house, I have like three screens. And I had it off to the side on the side screen, you know, as I'm working or whatever. You know, hopefully none of my employers are listening. And uh, <laughs> he's watching wrestling while he's working. Watching wrestling at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. <laughs> oh, what's that about? Um, and then I like, uh, you know, I hear, oh, he's setting them up for the jackhammer. And then I'm looking, and I and I stop what I'm doing, and I look, and I'm like, come on, no, you know. And then like he's got him in the mandible claw, and here comes Goldberg. He like headbutts him or whatever. 
and he hits him with a jackhammer, and it's a and it's a terrible, terrible jackhammer. Terrible jackhammer. Can't even get him over. And I'm like, all right, well, obviously he's gonna kick out. And it's just like one, two, three. What? What? I couldn't believe it. I'm looking. I I said, I'm like, wait, what? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I said, I I put my hands on my head and I said, I don't believe what they just did. And, you know, and then they try to like get him up like he's mad after the match. Like he's standing up in the middle of the ring, like looks like he's coming after Goldberg again. He's all pissed off that he got pinned. This guy that survived like chair shots from Rollins, all this crazy stuff and a a jackhammer from Goldberg. That was what did it. Guy who could barely stand. It was. Yeah. Oh, brutal as um, we get set up for Becky Lynch and Asuka. So they were, this was the Raw Women's Championship match. Remember, um, we've recently talked about a Royal Rumble where Asuka beat Becky earlier in the night, and then Becky ends up entering the Rumble and coming in and winning the Royal Rumble. I, I don't mind when they do that. I thought it was sort of weird that they had Becky tap out. To lose that match, like if she got pinned, there's something maybe weird, just weird to me about the tap out. But nonetheless, it she was, yeah. She ended up. So the story that they're telling here is that Oscar was the one woman that Becky hasn't really been ever ever able to beat. Mm-hmm. And the I thought the match was was very very good. You have Kyrie Sane yep. on the outside here. Um, this thing ends up going about sixteen and a half minutes. I thought I had it three and a half at least. Maybe in in the three and a half to four range, if you want to go uh, up all the way up that high, I might have liked the early, the first match a little better than this one. But there was n- nothing wrong with. It. I mean, when, when people wrestle three or four times, you're always going to like one of their matches better than the other. And I mean, these two are just fantastic. I think we sort of forget about Oscar because she's been gone for a while now. And when she comes back, you can insert her anywhere you want really nicely. We. Uh, Towards uh, the the back half of the match, we get Becky going up to the middle ropes. Oscar gets the double knees up. Then Oscar locks on the arm bar. Becky gets out of that. Oscar tries the Oscar lock. Becky gets the foot on the bottom ropes. We get a big suplex there, and Oscar's kicking at her hard, like to the face. Referees checking on Becky to see if she's okay, and uh, we get the booing from the fans. There is that uh, they don't like the ref stoppage, and the ref looked like they were gonna wave the match off. But Becky grabs the ref's leg and says, "No, no!" Oscar uh, keeps beating on her. Uh, a couple kicks to the chest, then another hard kick to the head. Just a two count there. But Becky fires back up, and she, uh, at one point, they're both down now, and they start getting to their feet. We get a back and forth slugfest, punch, punch, punch. Oscar sends Becky into the corner. Then Becky uh, with a kick to the chest. Oscar spits the green mist into the air, but Becky avoids it, and then she hits the disarmor armbar, uh, and Oscar taps out. Becky gets the win at about sixteen and a half. Yeah, it's good. It's a good match. Um, you know, probably probably three and a half stars or so, three and three quarters maybe. Um, exactly where I had it. Yep. Yeah, uh, I I thought you know the storyline was good. Um, Oscar obviously is great in the ring. Becky, you know, uh, played to you know her character. You know, as she's supposed to, uh, you know, overcoming the odds, you know, the the baby face finally gets her due. Uh, I thought they worked extremely well in the ring together. I thought the finish was a cool spot. There's some really good moves, inverted DDTs, uh, other things like that. Um, You know, I thought the spot with the baby face refusing to let him stop the match is always a good spot. 
Uh, they work, like I said, work very well together, checks the boxes it has to check, puts uh, puts uh, Becky over, doesn't, you know, doesn't hurt Oscar too much either. Uh, I thought just a, a very good match from start to finish. Uh, that was in a good spot in the, in the pay-per-view as well. Yep. This was uh, obvious. We all knew what was going to happen here, but it's fine. It's good. Does, we, Sometimes it's be obvious and simple could be fine. And it, it is. It is. This was what they needed to do. Becky was on fire here, and she's on fire still now. Becky with the W as uh, we get the street poppets hyping things up in the background, uh, in it's the backstage. Pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. It is. It is. Yeah, he mentions his better half, uh, Montez Bianca, doing her thing. Uh, Angela Dawkins kind of settles him down a little bit, and they start talking about some of the different people that are in the Rumble. I We've probably mentioned this a few different times, and... I don't know exactly when, but Montez has got so much star power there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's got, he's so athletic. He can fly. Like he's got the elbow drop. He does that running leap kind of over the top rope where he looks like he springs out and, yeah. and he goes so high. And he's got a fun personality, a charisma. That frog there's, splash gets higher every time he does it, too. It There's, there's going to be a moment for him when he, when they split up and he goes singles and it, and they give him the IC title first just to kind of see. But I yep. can, I mean, he's got it. Like, he's got, got a lot of it. Yeah. And he's yep. someone who I don't think it'll be quite yet, but they were one of the first pe- people that were announced for the Rumble. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if you see him as a guy who has maybe like a 20 minute run early on, say, like, Saves himself a couple times when it looks like he's going to get tossed out. We get a couple really cool spots from him. Maybe you tease one or two interactions with some fun stuff. And just to kind of let you know that, hey, you know, this guy might be able to go singles by himself. I don't know, kind of like what they would do with Brett, you know, before they started to split them up. Just get a little bit of a tease. Hey, what do you guys think? I could, I could see that happening this year. Oh, I think it has to. Yeah, yeah. I think it has to. I think, I think now's the time with him. He has an organic build. Everybody loves him. Ton of charisma. Uh, he is, you know, is he, is he a world title guy? Is he at that point yet? No, but you got a lot of runway in front of you to build mm-hmm. and you know, whether it be a U.S. They, title run intercontinental. They did it with big E run. really quickly too. You know, big E yep. was a guy who was never really thought of as like a single, he was in the new day for a while and he was fun. And then he won the IC title. They gave him yep. the money in the bank and then they just kind of put him in there and it, it sort of fit. It kind yep. of. They have a tough time with baby faces, so they kind of screwed some of the Big E stuff up afterwards. But that's not a Big E issue. That's like a right. WWE with baby faces issue. You know, right. that's right. that's everyone. And this is the Rumble as we get to the men's now. And uh, Michael Cole, uh, Michael Cole, Corey Graves um, are announcing Booker T comes in to help them out as he's from Houston. They did say that Bobby Lashley and Rusev are not going to be in the Rumble because they got into a huge brawl in the parking lot. So that will open up some more surprise spots here. But coming into this Rumble, they did a great job building Drew McIntyre. Yep. He he felt like the guy who was supposed to win this Rumble. He it wasn't like he had been getting shoved down our throats for it was sort of a a gene, like a like you were saying a natural build. Towards the second half of 2019 And then all of a sudden for a while He's like stacking all these wins And it's like oh wow Drew's It's kind of quiet you know And then you start to get to early in the year And it's like oh yeah Drew feels like One of the guys that's going to win the Rumble And they did a really good job with him in the build And I honestly think for a lot of He actually did a Had one of the better baby face runs Right after winning Even in the pandemic era He was still over 
He was still coming out and being really entertaining. It just it was only so much you could you could go. I think his time sort of he his his run was fine and it it wore off. But they did this with baby faces. They have such a problem knowing what to do after they win the title. It's all about the chase, and then once they get there, they don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's not it's not like it used to be. I and I don't know why. You know when when Bret Hart got the title. He didn't lose steam, you know. No, it was, I mean, people try to tear him down, saying, "Well, he don't sell like he like Hogan sold." Okay, but well, the fans uh, loved him. The crowd know. was behind him. Yeah, they didn't I turn mean, on him. Nope. You know, Austin. You know, I mean, all those guys. Rock. You know, I mean, Rock was a bit of a polarizing figure in the beginning, but you know, but but they didn't lose steam for some reason. The baby faces now they lose steam, and I don't know. I don't know if they build up the heel monster too much, or the heels are too cool, or something. Yeah, what it is, or... you know, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Now they, now it's cool to be a heel. You know, you it's know? not, it's not as Vince likes to say, good guy versus bad guy. The well, the lines are blurred because yeah. there are only there are so few people because it's the two people that come to mind for me are, I mean, I guess three that we would, we've been talking about recently, Bailey. Daniel Bryan, Sami Zayn. In my head, those are three of the most great baby faces that are just natural. People loved them. They always wanted to cheer for them. They wanted to get behind them. And like all of them are heels. Yeah. <laughs> all of them ended up being yeah. heels because they didn't know what to. And they Sami didn't know what to Zane, do. Sami Zayn is the most annoying heel in the history of the world. Oh, he's, he's so annoying. So annoying. It's just so, so annoying. annoying. And yeah. and it and it fits Sami fine. And Daniel played a great heel too. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like a great actor, but. His best role is the baby face. Yeah. No doubt about it. Cause people want to cheer for him. They want to yep. get behind him. There's so few people that he comes out and the cool guys like Daniel Bryan, but the kids like Daniel Bryan and the girls like Daniel Bryan. Yep. It's yep. there aren't very many people that are like that nowadays. And they actually did a great job with Drew, who's going to end up winning this thing, but that's not how it starts. We get Brock Lesnar, who comes out as number one. He and uh, Paul Heyman have said that there's nobody out there that's a legitimate contender for him. So Brock is just going to beat everyone in the Rumble. He's going to start at number one. And he's going to throw them out one at a time. The, just the idea of this was great. It was yep. unique. They haven't really done it before. And then, I wonder if we get Elias in the Rumble. We haven't seen him, you know, for a while. And they were they teased that they had vignettes for him with like a grave, and then. That just stopped. We haven't yeah, seen him know. or anything. But yeah. if he came out and did a little song, I, it would you'd definitely get pop. And this this made me laugh. He was singing "Walk with Elias." The his sacrificial song, lamb song is coming, coming to the ring. Sacrificial <laughs> lamb. <laughs> it was so funny as he said that as he walks to the ring and the crowd's clapping and loving it. And he calls, uh, you know, he. he Calls Heyman a bitch or something And Lesnar just goes ballistic He tackles him He pulls him up uh, against the turnbuckle Hits him with the German suplex And uh, um, Then Heyman slides the guitar in And Brock hits him in the back with the guitar And then throws him over the top So <laughs> that was that was great Or Elias said when Before he was walking and he said he's ready to attack And he's going to smash a guitar on Heyman's back And that yeah. was what, that was what Le- uh, Lesnar went after him so he gets Elias out. Here comes Eric Rowan, who is number three. Remember the cage that he had? Oh my gosh. This yeah. This cage with the cloth, and he was acting like there was something in it. This was 
Didn't it end oh. up being like a giant spider or something like that? When it was like a, thing like a fuzzy. It was like, like a, a stuff. A yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. it was just brutal. brutal. Um, you know, Eric Porter, Eric Rowan ain't gonna be in there all that long. Right. <laughs> he clothesline eliminates him. He's out in eight seconds. And then Brock's starting to so now the fans are starting to boo because they can kind of sense what's happening now. You know, they can feel like, ah oh, shit, we're not gonna get this for the whole 30, right? And which is great. Like you gotta heal like Brock out there, make us think that he's gonna take everybody out one by one and just screw up this Royal Rumble, you know? Yep, yep. And absolutely it's perfect. Number four is Robert Rude, who uh slow walked out of the ring. He gets in a couple punches, but Brock with the kick. Um, a little back and forth there, but Lesnar hits the F5 and then he tosses him out before we get to number five, John Morrison. Morrison had just returned um a few months prior to this, I believe. He's number five now. This is they said his seventh Royal Rumble, and he goes after Brock. Brock catches him. Mm-hmm. This was an incredibly <laughs> athletic spot from both of these guys, like especially Morrison. Brock catches him, and the way that he catches him and throws him, it's like Morrison is two sixty. Yeah, like he's not some small dude. Right? I mean, maybe that's a little bigger. Maybe he's like two twenty. You know, I, but he's not tiny. He's not like some some hundred and forty pound guy. Like he's a big dude, and Lesnar catches him, flings him over the top. Belly to belly suplex, which was just and like the look that Morrison had when he landed on the floor was like, yeah. oh my god, I, that guy yeah. can manhandle me. Yeah, yeah, that, it's it's a freakish amount of strength to be able to do something like that. You know, watching that back, and I remember just going, oh my god, how 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 can you possibly be that strong that you can toss like it looked like he could have thrown him into the second row if he wanted to. Hundred percent, and he could throw me into the fifth if he. I mean, geez, that was um, he. You, you, he could throw you across time uh, zones. Un, no doubt about it. I'm only about a <laughs> buck fifty, buck sixty dripping wet, man. So, Kofi is number six. I actually kind of forgot about this spot too. So yeah. Kofi w- lost the title to Lesnar in October. He comes in. Uh, at least they didn't have Kofi get immediately tossed. You know, he wasn't treated quite like everybody else. Punches. Yeah, they used it for the you know the Big E showing up and trying to rally the troops for Mysterio. Eventually, you know that worked mm-hmm. out well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was okay. And Lesnar kind of ragdoll Kofi, ragdolls Kofi all over the place. German suplex. He picks up Kofi, throws him into the turnbuckle, but Kofi's able to survive to Rey Mysterio number seven. So this was the first time that we've had Brock and more than one person in the ring now as uh. Ray and Lesnar Ray goes after Lesnar with a couple kicks, drop kick to the knee, and then Brock kind of pushes him off. He throws Ray into Kofi, double clothesline on both of them, German suplex Mysterio, and uh both Ray and Kofi are under the bottom rope. They're on the floor as Big E is number eight. He runs down to the ring. So we've got Big E, Ray, and Kofi kind of all against Brock. They um they all kind of take turns, which is great, hitting their their big spots. Kofi hits the the trouble in paradise. Then Big E with the big ending. Rey Mysterio hits the six one nine. Big E with a corner splash, and it sort of feels like this is this is it. Like Lesnar, three guys that are pretty legitimate here. You've got a form a couple former world champs, and you got Big E yep. at the time, a big guy who's got a little weight behind him. And Rey Mysterio jumps on Brock's back, and he, he just tosses. Ray 
off his back, which so he throws him o- over the top onto the floor, and then he's on Big E's back. That's that that spot's great. That he runs and jumps off of Big E's spot back with a clothesline to Kofi, which was incredible. Yep. And then he hits Big E, eliminates him, F five to Kofi, throws him over the top rope. Sorry guys, one, two, three, let's eliminate all of you. That I liked this interaction with these three and him because you kind of felt like, okay, now Brock's finally gonna get there's a couple guys, they're legitimate. This might be a spot where they give Kofi a little bit of, you know, uh, Avenger, an opportunity. Yeah. And nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. G- goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and, um so we're up to number nine now, and we're up to Cesaro as uh Obviously a guy with a ton of strength So he comes in, he goes at it with Lesnar For a little bit, a couple uppercuts But a vertical suplex and a clothesline And Cesaro is out in 30, 30, (laughs) 18 seconds Yeah The next spot I thought was kind of cool Shelton Benjamin So that was, he's number 10 Shelton Benjamin and Brock Are buddies, this is one of Brock's best friends They went to college together, they've trained together They came up through the WWE system together. And so Shelton comes out, Brock's kind of came in with the big hug. I yeah. am so proud of you. Brock's Get in there smiling. with Brock Lesnar. Shelton smiling. It's you got it perfect. He said, I'm so proud of you. Get in there with Brock. And he sends him in. Shelton's loving it. Brock's looking at Shelton and he's doing the you and me, you know. You and, and he's Brock's patting him on the back. Oh, look, it's my buddy Shelton. And Brock's smiling. He gives him a huge hug. Yeah. Like a massive hug when he walks into the ring, too. And oh, this is my guy, you know. And even Graves and the announcers are saying, that's a kind of smart idea for Brock, right? He's probably getting a little tired now. You have Shelton help you out, make things a little easier for you. And goodbye. <laughs> German <laughs> suplex clothesline. Adios, Shelton. And then Brock's just <laughs> laughing. It's laughing, just laughing at him. It was great. He's, great spot. It's great nine spot. for Brock as Nakamura comes out, who is the Intercontinental Champion at that time. I mean, talk about an Intercontinental Champion who they give the belt to and then do nothing with. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think right now he's hurt, which, okay, I understand. So go, put the belt on Ricochet or someone and let him wrestle on TV. I, like, I don't. I don't understand. I, I, I literally don't understand. The, the Intercontinental Champion used to be your worker that fought all the time. It makes zero sense. <laughs> now, you got a, now you got another guy that's hurt you never see. You <laughs> never see. It not, makes no sense. If I were he, booking... He came, he came out of the show like a couple weeks ago with the belt, and I'm like, I didn't remember he still had the belt. I know, because you don't... <laughs> ever, he's Him and Boogs are in more tag matches than he wrestles singles matches. Yep, yep. It's bizarre. And... Yeah. I, I, put it on boobs. Get put it on title. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Put it on Sami Zayn. You know what I mean? Like, let yeah. the guy be annoying. Like, any anything. As if I were booking both Raw and SmackDown, like I would have, it would I would almost always have an open challenge with one of those mid card title belts. Those would they be used, like they my used TV. To do it all the time. Yeah, they used to, and Priest was doing it for a while too. Those yep. would be like my TV title sort of belts to where. You could have open challenges for them. You could you could really let let that be a 15, 20 minute segment of your show every week where you could let someone else. Remember when Cena was doing that? That was awesome. 
yeah, and bringing title, yeah. different yeah. people out. And that's where we saw Sami Zayn show up and we saw Cena have great matches with guys that you you wouldn't have expected. I don't yeah, it's a bummer as uh Nakamura we wins the Rumble 2 years before this feels like he's going to main event Mania and for whatever reason I I mean he obviously likes what he's doing, he enjoys what he's doing. I don't think he would be here if not, but for someone who I was so excited about when he came in, yeah, you'd have to kind of feel like his run's been a little bit flat or well, underwhelming. The thing the thing that I was always concerned about that came to hand was he's just not going to be a Vince guy. Vince is not going to get him. He's not going to get the character. He's not going to he's not going to like his style of wrestling. And, and you're not going to so really different. allow that style. Nope. Like the way that you would want to see him, like they allow in New Japan. One, you can't do that when you're on the road all these nights of the year. It's different when you have one or two big pay-per-view matches every six months or yeah. months to lead to. Your body can't take that. No, no, no. You, oh, you're you're going, you're going on 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 tour and you're in your wrestling every night. You you can't have those kind of matches that him and Styles were having in in New Japan and stuff. You, you you're absolutely. Or right. Kenny Omega. We saw what happened with Kenny Omega right now. Even in when in AEW, it oh, caught yeah. up with him. Yeah, he, he's a when he's he had, right now. He's a shell of what he was three years ago. Yeah. Um. So just a bummer because Nakamura has and he's had some good matches in NXT and in WWE. The Sami Zayn one was incredible. Some of the yep. matches with he was the NXT champ were really good. And yep. he does have some good ones in the WWE. They just didn't quite get to the level that some people would have wanted. But they're never he, but they're never gonna get to that level. No, it's they just, won't. They, yeah, they won't. They won't. There are some some guys and gals can do it, but I think like AJ Styles and Seth Rollins to me have perfected it. The most of like giving you The matches that you would maybe want On the independent scene or in New Japan Or other places but they'll do it in the WWE safe style I think as yep. well as they could be done Yep, Honestly um, And sometimes Styles goes a little I mean Styles in this rumble hurt himself Yeah you're right, and they had to they had to take him out earlier I Had to take then, him out, he, he he told the guy You gotta throw me out, I can't, he couldn't lift his arm up He did, and that was Smart and safe and we uh we get to number yeah so 11's Nakamura Nakamura charges at Lesnar Lesnar picks him up and dumps him to the floor instantly 20 seconds for a, a Inter- Intercontinental champion 20 seconds Intercontinental champion guy who won the Rumble 2 years ago and he's out like a like a nothing nothing as we get MVP we got the cool uh surprise spot here number 12 this Brock is with Hanson Rock's dancing, he's bouncing MVP's walking around the ring Chasing Heyman, which is kind of funny thinking about Where we are now with yeah. MVP and Heyman I'm sure we'll get some stuff with them In the coming weeks as uh, Brock and Lashley Are going to uh, have their match at, at the Royal Rumble Yep. So Lesnar's dancing And uh, he Lesnar grabs MVP, brings him in And they go at it for a little bit But Lesnar F5 Tosses MVP He's eliminated 11 now here as number 13 And you can see after he eliminates MVP He's starting to get a little tired now You know, he's starting to get a little winded And here comes Keith Lee's music And this is great from Brock He does the, oh, oh Big boy, big <laughs> he, does, boy. He, he got emotions at like, oh shit this Look guy's at a, this mother effer Look at this <laughs> It was, it was like uh, that we were talking the other day about the uh, the replacements. It's like that scene where the co look at this mama jamma yeah. when the sumo guy comes up strolling in as uh, Keith Lee. Uh, go work on the Saudi. Hi, hi, hi. 
Uh, he's lost weight. Yeah, he's lost slim down. Oh, don't, say, don't say that, coach. Don't <laughs> say that, coach. Pass blocking. Remember, it's pushing people around, just like sumo wrestling. That's a great movie. Yeah. Love that. We'll do a, a replacement rewatch one day for sure. As Keith Lee's number 13, North NXT North American champ. Fans are loving Keith Lee. Big baby face on the rise. Big moment. And him and Lesnar go at it. He hits a shoulder tackle, another shoulder tackle. He knocks Lesnar down. Yeah, Lesnar sells with the look on his face. And that's how you know Brock respects someone. Yep. When he's giving him that. Yep. Right? When he's giving him that. When he's and Keith Lee gets a big splash, then some punches. Lesnar runs out with a, a clothesline. And so Keith is able to last to number 14. Who is Braun Strowman So now you're starting to get Okay we got some big boys in there with Brock yep. now yep. We got Brock, Keith Lee And Braun in the mix So Braun God both of these guys Like they're not here anymore Nope. It's so weird Keith Lee and Braun Back to back like what Um, Braun Dropkick Braun hits a dropkick On yeah. Keith Lee and sends him Under the top under the rope uh, shoulder tackle Braun's doing the the runaway train Outside the ring And he goes back in with the clothesline on uh, on Brock He picks up Brock Then Brock hits a German suplex on him And then Brock hits a German suplex on Keith Lee And Brock hits another one on Strowman And another one on Lee And everybody's down um, And Keith Lee and Strowman Kind of bump into each other And then they have a little stare down And they start going at it and as they're focusing on each other, Brock thumps thumps them both. Yep. She tosses them both. Yep. And now you're 13. sitting there going, "Oh my god, this guy's now, going through the whole thing." It, this was the moment when Braun and Keith got tossed. Because now in your head, you're starting to like, okay, who are who are the contenders still right. to come? Right. You're right. starting to play that math out in your head, and you're like, "Oh, oh, those are two of the two of them." And maybe we would have thought a Big E or a Kofi or I don't know, you know. And you're, like, uh oh. So this is a. Uh, a little nerve wracking uh, As number 15 is Ricochet And Ricochet He lasts Ricochet doesn't have his uh, his Just two seconds here Ricochet jumps onto Lesnar And then Lesnar hits a backbreaker And then a German suplex He just tosses Ricochet across the ring And he's kicking at Ricochet to keep him down But Ricochet is able to last To number 16 which is Drew McIntyre And we get a really big pop for Drew and Drew looks at Brock and he tells him he's been waiting for this for a long time. I thought that was a cool moment. And the Brock takes off his gloves. And as Brock and Drew get ready for their standoff, you kind of forget that Ricochet is just lying in the corner back there. And Ricochet comes out of nowhere, low blow to Brock Lesnar. And Drew hits the Claymore kick and eliminates him. Great spot. Great just. Spot, yeah. Great, great, great job by Brock to go over that road backwards the way he did too. It was awesome. Yeah. It was really, really good. Place goes and nuts. Place the, goes nuts. And now we got ourselves a new rumble for the second yep. half. Yeah, we got our, a new rumble for the second half. Lesnar's out. Drew starting this thing for the second half of the rumble. So you got a guy who legitimately feels like he can win this thing in here now for the next half. And you know what? Thank you. So this is one of the biggest moments that Ricochet's had. Being yeah. a part of this you wonder yeah. why they Wanted him to be a part of this without Really big plans for him Moving forward um, But 
was it the next Saudi Arabia show that he lost to Brock? It might have been. Right when he got yeah. squashed in that title, because that would have made the most sense, right? If we look yeah. back, that like right after this was when they put him, that they would have put him in there. Yeah, um, I think so. So now we've got Brock, who's been eliminated, but for a while he stands outside of the ring. He's kind of staring at Drew. You know, Drew, Drew's looking at him. So I was getting nervous as someone I remember who wanted Drew to win. Just thinking, oh, you know what? Maybe they have Brock eliminate him, and that'll still probably lead to a Drew Brock title match. But right. you know, you, it sort of felt like Brock was going to maybe come back in and get pissed off at Drew for eliminating him. Right. Um. But we end up, you know, Drew ends up winning, which is great. As uh, that that was I, the the no doubt right move there. Um. We get to number seventeen. Awesome. It's Miz who uh, goes after Drew. And he hits the DDT. Uh, Miz goes after Drew, but Drew ends up hitting the DDT on Miz, and then the Claymore kick, and he dumps Miz. He just tosses Miz very quickly. He was only in there for thirty seconds, and uh, fans loved it. Though we got the uh, as as Miz is out, and then as Brock Lesnar is out, the fans were chanting na 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 hey 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 goodbye. And Lesnar's just furious as uh, Lesnar and Drew kind of jab at each other a little bit more. But number 18 is AJ Styles as uh, AJ and Drew go at it for a little bit. This was a fun back and forth. Um, we get the uh, calf crusher, and then Drew hits the jams AJ's head into the mat to, to stop it, to break it up. Dolph is number 19. We get the. Uh, the Ziggler styles back and forth And then Ziggler uh, Ziggler knocks AJ down We get a Drew belly to belly He tosses Ziggler across the ring Number 20 is Carl Anderson Of the OC So as we're up to number 20 now We've got Drew As your you know Your dominant force he just eliminated Miz We've got AJ Dolph And Carl Anderson in there with him now Yeah Finally the ring is filling up As you could say uh, And now you're really starting to look at it And you're saying alright well Out of these guys McIntyre You know Styles obviously at the point is, is a big name You know Anderson Gallows eventually is going to be coming out As well So you're trying to go through your head well, Who's left maybe Orton You know Roman Joe Rollins There's a lot of big names left So there's definitely a lot of different ways That they could still go But right now you've kind of had that Passing of the torch from Lesnar to Drew And it's a tale of two rumbles The first the first part of the Royal Rumble ends uh, When Drew eliminates Lesnar And now you go into your more traditional Royal Rumble Of having the guys in the ring at the same time And, and we go from there And we get a Huge surprise Coming up next at number 21 You think you know me On this day It's Edge As Darren had mentioned We'd heard some rumors about this before but you never, you never, I mean, there's rumors every year that CM Punk's showing up in the Rumble, right? There's rumors every year that it's going to be this or that. You don't know until you see it, you hear the music, you see them come out. And Edge, huge pop, big pyro, crowds loving him. He is crazy emotional. You could see he's like getting teary, like teared up, just looking. He gets this look where he's almost saying, like, I'm in disbelief ah, that I'm here like, right now, is what it looks it, like. It, and it, yeah, it was that. And it was like, Wow, I, I I didn't. Of course, he knows you remember me, but it was one of those things that was like, wow, you guys do remember me. 
Like I'm here I'm at this moment Like I get goosebumps thinking about Just seeing him looking out Everyone and you almost get like It's like wow this Edge is one of the guys that Always came off as Just a huge fan of wrestling We know that we know that we saw Edge in pictures when he was a kid Watching Hogan and Warrior So we know this is a guy who As a fan of wrestling he is a one. He is a wrestler that I always loved rooting for because I knew the guy was just a fan. And it's like, oh, this is this is us as as a wrestler. This is yeah, you know, th- it's him. You know, we get to live vicariously through him, and and seeing him experience that emotion was crazy. We all thought he was gone. I remember the night he retired, and I was crying a little bit because Edge was always one of my oh, favorites. Oh, that was so sad. It was. He was always one of my favorites. Um, you know, he's probably right on the outside of my top five because he's. I love Brett's my favorite. You and I talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. I love wrestlers that you can watch the whole trajectory of their career mm-hmm. play out. Where Edge went from this awesome, great tag wrestler to the mid card guy, and you see him win the the IC title, and you you know they're starting to push him as a singles, and then I think it was a King of the Ring, and he had some stuff with Angle that was pretty good there, and then. Then he lived, you know, he's still not quite there, but then he needs that money in the bank. And then after that, you know, he felt it took a while, but he finally got to that main event level where it's like, yeah, he really is a true main eventer. I love watching that with someone's career play out in a company. We got to see that with Edge. This was so cool, him coming back. And you, whenever someone like this shows back up, I don't think we thought Edge was going to win the match, but he's he's definitely a player when he comes in. It's like, oh yeah, he's gonna be oh, around, yeah. and he maybe he does win. Who knows? You know that that would be a great story to tell. So he comes in, and now you're looking around, and you're going, okay, Drew's in here, Edge is in here, AJ's in here. You got a couple that might be able to win this thing. Yeah, and there's a few more coming. Uh, you know, the last time they brought Edge out off a surprise, he did win. So, you know, are they gonna do that again? Um, you know, you're taking a look, you're trying to figure out. You know what kind of spot they would put him in Who they would set him up in a feud with Obviously they went in the direction of Orton Which you know things got a little bit sideways Because of COVID and what they had to do about it And everything like that But there's a there's going to be a funny spot with Orton coming up But yeah it's You, you get a few couple of minutes in here Where it's just you, you could watch it over and over And over again and not get tired of it And uh, it's like any other sport When somebody makes a return You know it's if it's somebody that you followed Since uh, I mean geez I was probably what 16 years old watching it 17 years old you know it's uh it's a long time ago and it's it's amazing to see him back it's amazing to see him doing what he's doing now at the age that he's at he's probably in the best shape of his life which is a a, you know which is a credit to him and the work that he's put in and you know hopefully he um hopefully he gets to end his career on his terms which i think is what this is all about exactly right if he doesn't want to have 10 more years i think he wants maybe another year he has another, you know, probably a, another year or two get opportunity to have some big matches, not have to wrestle on TV all the time. Right now, he's working with his wife, which has to be a blast for yep. him. Yep. Getting to come out there with your wife and smack her on the butt on TV and stuff, and have people laugh at you for it, you know, like that's that's cool. They're just out there like doing doing them. So, uh, shout out to Edge when he comes in. It's Edge, AJ, Ziggler, McIntyre, and Anderson as. Uh, Edge goes right after Ziggler with a spear. That was where he missed it. <laughs> he yeah. misses the spear to Ziggler. And then spear for Anderson, spear for McIntyre. Um, AJ hits the Pele kick, but Edge comes back with a spear on him. And then 
AJ and, takes and, a big and, bump. Yeah, yeah. And that over, was when he, he over he oversold yep. it. Yep. That shoulder injury, yep. he landed bad on his left shoulder there. And I, that thought, was the, I thought he was in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it he was, was I thought that was gonna be separated shoulder, torn labrum out six months type of deal. Yeah, he's very lucky that that wasn't worse. Yep. Because he wanted I mean, you're excited, you want to sell great for Edge in this spot, you know? Yep. He's yep. back, you want to make him look like a million bucks. He just went a little too much as uh we get to number 22, King Corbin, who comes out. Choke slam. His, his ribs are still hurting from four hours he's ago. Still, you're right. He's still on it. Yeah. He's that's funny. Fans boo him. Um, he goes after Anderson. Edge throws AJ uh, over the top. We found out afterwards that it was not supposed to be this early, but AJ was hurt. So they had this was a, the, the smart call, the right thing to do. Get him out of there. You see and, Anderson looking over when he gets thrown out like that. Like he's looking down like, like that. That wasn't, wasn't supposed, supposed to happen. To happen. Yep. What's going on there? And yep. they're all kind of, this is like a moment where they're a little bit off. Yeah. But um, the number 23rd entrant was Matt Riddle. Bro, he's only in there for about 30 seconds. Yeah, he's in and out. In Just and out. Real quick. Kicks yep. off the flip flops. Uh, he kicks Corbin, kicks Anderson, kicks McIntyre, and him and Edge go at it. Um, and then Corbin just tosses Riddle over the top. Pretty, pretty nondescript, uh, yep. non-important, just elimination. But uh, I'd imagine Riddle will have a lot bigger role this year in the Royal Rumble with him and uh, and Randy Orton likely to have some sort of interaction as we I get to Gallo. Have, they're probably gonna have a blow off of some kind, you would think, right? Got it, right? I'd imagine they one eliminates the other by accident and that'll lead to a mania match between the two of them. That's that has means. to be it. Yeah. Feels like where they've been going for a while. Yep. Um 24 is Luke Gallows. So he's the sixth guy currently in when he comes in. Uh he goes after Ziggler, he goes after Corbin, deep six slam, McIntyre and Corbin get rid of him though pretty quickly. Uh, or McIntyre goes up to Corbin then tosses him over. So Corbin's out. That's Drew's fourth elimination. OC guys, they get the magic killer on edge. And number 25 is Randy Orton, who is a two time Rumble winner at the time. He comes in, he goes after Gallows and Anderson, RKO, RKO. And then him and Edge have a moment, which is really cool. They're looking at each other, and it's like, I love oh, like, it. shredded when he points at his abs. That, that spot that Randy does, he points to Edge's. Six pack and he goes look at your chat Look at you you're cut up he, he does like a Cut thing it's really great it just Makes me laugh every time I see it And uh, we know they have a lot of history Together this is a, a, a Ton of fun so now actually What I really liked about this Rumble and how they did it we've got Drew in there we've got Edge In there and now at 25 We've got Orton and basically Like 25 through 30 You all feel like they have a shot like none yep. of them would be absurd to win, which is great. That's what we want with these these last few spots to all be legitimate contenders. So that's Orton at twenty five. They work together. They hit clotheslines. They get rid of Anderson. They get rid of Gallows, and uh, they start going after Ziggler and McIntyre. Twenty six. Do do do. It's the big dog Roman Reigns. Huge oh. news after he was getting crazy cheers. Just a few hours earlier in the night Just again doesn't make any sense Whatsoever But we've got Roman um, Spears Ziggler and he eliminates Ziggler so now it's Roman Drew Edge and Orton A really strong four yeah. With you four more yeah, left yeah. 
Yeah, you like, can't get much better than that. No. And those are the four. And the four that we have to come, KO, Alistair Black, Samoa Joe, and Seth Rollins. Yeah, it's been- and Alistair Black was was strong at this point. Very much like, so. Yeah. He was built like someone who people thought, oh, maybe he can win this thing. Or he's he was definitely- he was a he was a dark horse that was in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. So we end up getting 27. Uh, Kevin Owens, he goes after Drew, clotheslines to Orton, cannonball. Uh, he goes after Roman, pop up power bomb on Drew, KO stunner. Um, he kicks Orton and he gives him a KO stunner. 28, Alistair Black, he goes after Kevin Owens. The, um, he hits the knee on edge and he gets some of his offense in all over the place. Drew, he hits the black mass kick on Drew. Yep. And then Orton ends up, because that's who beat uh, Andrade, right? Was it Black? In NXT, did he beat Andrade for the title? I think was it Alistair Black? Yeah, I think we might. I'll look that up in a second. I think it was. I think it might. He might have come right after Andrade and beat him. It's, it's um, possible. possible. So he's at twenty eight. Uh, twenty eight. Alistair House of Fire all over the place. And twenty nine, we get Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, another one's just been unlucky, man. The injuries for this guy. Yeah. He, he was such a bad. He is such a badass. You put him anywhere, and he always feels like he belongs. But he just the neck injuries, the back injuries, they start adding up, and it's it's just a bummer. So he's twenty nine, Samoa Joe, and he it's uh he goes after Alistair Black. Him and KO have a little stare down, and they go at it for a bit. And number thirty is Seth Rollins. He comes out. With Buddy Murphy and the Authors of Pain, Occam and Razor. So when Seth comes out at thirty, remember three he, guys that are no longer in the company. Yeah, Murphy and <laughs> Occam and Razor not in the company. Is uh, he won in twenty twenty one? So he was trying to win this thing back to back. He won. He won in twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah. So he was trying to win this thing back to back. As uh, at that point, we've got eight. We've got those that really good final four of Reigns, McIntyre, Orton, Edge. We've got KO, Alistair Black, Samoa Joe, and Seth. And you really feel like any one of them has a shot, honestly. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, you, yeah you, cool. you, got, you got nothing but big names here, which is pretty awesome. So Rollins and, uh, and his crew slowly walk down to the ring. KO and Samoa Joe, they go out to meet them, and they're all brawling on the floor. Rollins and Murphy pull Edge out. Um, but not eliminate him They throw him into the barricade AOP puts Orton on, on the announce table He's also not eliminated Rollins hits the stomp on Drew And then Rollins ends up going after Roman Reigns He hits the stomp on him Is uh, Roman uh, Seth and Aleister Black They go at it for a little bit Black kicks Seth in the back of the head And as Black goes up to the middle rope Murphy grabs him by the leg And Seth eliminates Black So Alistair's out Then KO comes up to Seth He hits the stunner KO throws Seth over the top But the authors of pain catch him Like It looked like Seth was just gone KO threw him right over But they're standing right outside They just catch him And the authors of pain End up holding on to Kevin Owens' arms And Seth and them dump him over the top So we're down to six Joe steps in He's got the coquina clutch on Seth but then Murphy kicks him in the back of the head. So Joe has to, to shift his focus over to Murphy. And Rollins ends up dumping out Joe. So Alistair Black, Samoa Joe, and Kevin Owens all eliminated by Seth and his crew there. 
Yeah, and uh, and then things get kind of interesting in the in the middle of the ring when it's five. What's we got five guys left, and, mm-hmm. and Seth is trying to like coax Roman. It's great. It's Seth and four baby faces. He's yeah. the only heel there. Yeah. <laughs> this was right. this makes He's me like, laugh. Come on, Roman. Give He's me a like, fist. They're all in their own corners, and Seth like they're all about to start to surround Seth. And so he starts to back up into the corner with Roman and he's like, he starts elbowing Roman, you and me, man, you and me, the shield, he holds out his fist. Like he wants to do the shield thing. Like, come on, the two of us, we'll get the three of them. We can do this. You know, Roman does Roman plays this really great too. He kind of like just looks up over at him. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, are you effing kidding me here? You know? And, um, yeah, fun spot where, all four of these guys, uh, the baby faces now have surrounded him. Reigns hits him with the Superman punch. Orton hits a power slam. Drew hits the Claymore kick, and they toss him out. So we're down to four baby faces with the chance to win the Rumble, which is yeah. is really cool, honestly. Yeah. Um, Doesn't happen often that way. No, not not at all. And you've got Edge and Orton in there, and and everything between them. If Roman Reigns isn't in title matches. He needs to be in every Royal Rumble as one of the final three or four, just because there's so much energy with that. And even now, him being a more popular guy, I still think there will be something to him being in the Rumble that towards the end that there's still this like weird history about it. He he's same thing with Charlotte. Like, make sure they're always one of the final three or four. People are gonna get mad or they're gonna be really emotional if they're in or out, but don't have them win. And it's perfect. It was perfect use of Roman here. And you've got Edge and Orton And you know you're going to have everything being built with them Edge and Orton try to work together But Orton Sends uh, Reigns into the turnbuckle McIntyre goes after Orton And then Orton hits an RKO Edge hits a spear on Drew And Edge and Orton are talking strategy And they hit a double RKO on Drew Orton goes up behind Edge He looks mm-hmm. like he's about to turn on him And then Edge, Edge you know, him, yeah. Smiles and says You know You know uh, okay, okay, sure. It's great. It's great. Orton's and, going, only one of us can win, pal. Only yeah, one of okay, us can win. Okay. And so as Orton walks in front of Edge, Edge grabs him and eliminates him, tosses him. Really fun spot. He's so great. He's going, ah, come on. I know. <laughs> They're just smiling a little after. And uh, we're down to the final three Roman, Drew, and Edge. Hey, I got an idea. How are we going to make the fans boo babyface Roman more? Let's have him eliminate the guy that's been missing for 10 years that everybody that I know, loves. That everybody <laughs> loves and pops for so much. It's just, come on. Because oh. if Drew eliminates Edge, nobody cares. Right. I mean, it, people will boo because they were uh, uh, Edge, but right. it's not like, it's not going to hurt Drew or anything. No. But but this is definitely something you, like when you have a guy like Roman that you're trying to be careful with, how do you, you can't do these kind of things oh, like my with God, him? They don't just do don't, that. Yeah, they just don't, don't do know. that to him yeah. and like put him in that spot to fail. Um, he'll heal Roman now by all sure. means. That's yeah. perfect. Do that. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but um, uh, he ends up, you know, hitting, he ends up eliminating edge. Um, edge sends Ray, uh, Roman over the top, but Roman holds on and we get a little back and forth. Reigns edge up, ends up pulling edge over the top. They're battling on the apron and Reigns punches Edge's hand, and so Edge falls off. Last two, Roman and Drew. Roman punched to Drew, and Drew almost falls over, but he comes back with a Claymore kick, and he knocks Roman down. He grabs him and tosses him. 
This thing went just over an hour The full rumble itself did Drew ends up lasting 34 minutes And 11 seconds I thought this was as uh, one of my top five Royal Rumbles, yep. no doubt about it. I honestly think this is like a four and a half star Rumble. I really do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't. Is. I mean, it's hard to go five stars with anything in a Rumble because it's just. I mean, there's so many moving parts. But I have this as a four floor, and me personally, I have this at four and a half. I mean, ninety two is one that I think of, and I have personal favorites. Like we talk about ninety four. I like Brett wins that one. I think I like mm-hmm. the, the ninety four Rumble and and the way it's done and stuff, but. This this rumble in both of the women's and the men's, honestly, but the men's, the way it was booked, this is one of the best booked rumbles, period. It was yep. fantastic. There were a lot of different people at the end that you thought had a chance to win. And then the right guy won. And also what makes the rumble great is that seeing that Drew won and seeing that it actually did do for Drew what we were saying before that it could do for some people. It it did elevate Drew in yep. into a guy who's going to win the main event at WrestleMania and he was, you know, Roman Reigns is going to be gone after this for a little while because of COVID. Drew McIntyre carried the company for 6-8 months. He was the face, the main guy on that company week in week out and he felt like a big star and this is the beginning of of Drew's run and and since then honestly he's been a He's been a main eventer. He's been in the main event picture now for the you know for the last two years since this moment. Yeah, there's there's a documentary on uh, well Peacock. I can't say WWE Network anymore. Um, re- revolving around this Drew run, where you know Drew finds out that it's going to be his time and he's going to win the Rumble, and in the weeks leading up to uh, WrestleMania, he's over in Scotland. And he has to fly home because they don't know what's going on with COVID. And if you're going to be able to get back in the country, you have to leave right now or or stay. Yep. Yep. And he, and so he has to get home and then all the stuff starts to fall apart. And he finds out, you know, that, that WrestleMania is going to be in the performance center and he's just gutted, you know, just, and you have to, you know, you have to imagine where it's like, you know, imagine that you get called up to the majors, you know, and you opening day, you're going to be the starting center fielder for the New York Yankees. There's no fans and there's no fans. And it's like, you're pitching a, 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 a training game. It's like, you're pitching a, a simulated yep. game on a, on a Tuesday. And you, you really, you really feel for him. You know, you, you do really do. It's, uh, you know, and I know people are going to say, Oh, what do you feel for the guy? You know, great spot, blah, blah, blah. You got a moment. Yeah. Well, Okay, but the guy's moment was supposed to be in front of a hundred thousand people. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you really do feel for him. And, I mean, and you don't know, and that and the thing, like we were saying, Drew will. I I feel like while while he's around now, Drew does feel like a top guy and one of the top guys. But yep. who knows if he ever has this moment again, where he wins the title at WrestleMania, like the well, baby face that they want to push. Even if listen, even if he gets the moment. At WrestleMania, where he wins a title as the babyface, it's not going to be a moment where he's going over Brock Lesnar. No, in that spot. And this was the first, like for Drew. You know, you were starting to talk about it a little bit. He was. He's got a crazy story because he yeah. was the chosen one. Yeah, Drew McIntyre. He was anointed. Oh, put him on Raw and by said, this guy's a future star. Yeah, as the yeah. chosen one, and and it it 
it it didn't connect with him right off the bat. It, it reminded me a little bit of like the Rocky suck stuff, you know, like it was like a guy that you could tell they're trying to to force down your throat. It almost felt like a little bit of Roman stuff at the beginning. The only yep. problem is, is that Roman, like you hit on this a lot. Roman got there's a reason why they pushed Roman. Roman wasn't forced down the throats of people until people cheered for Roman like they wanted him to be the guy. And then yeah. that was when they said, okay, we're going to make him the guy. And then people booed. That didn't make sense. Like Drew was one of those guys that yep. Vince handpicked, kind of like what he's doing with Austin Theory. You know, yeah, hey, same thing. Same this thing, is yeah. my guy. This is the chosen one. You yeah. know, Vince likes him. But the fans started, were, were smart. They could smell it and they would. It was kind of go away heat that Drew had. It, he yep. wasn't treated like a heel. It was like, ah, oh, this guy, we screw it. And yep. he was in 3MB getting squashed, opening show stuff. He's in the corny, goofy segments playing an air guitar with Slater and Jinder. And it doesn't even feel real that that's like the same guy. I know. It's wild. I mean, the arc of his character and his career is just absolutely insane. Uh, he's an immensely talented worker, though, and 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 obviously a hard worker. Works hard in the gym, takes care of himself, and, and we find out now, you know, that he's been dealing with neck injuries his entire career. That you know are rather scary. Uh, whenever you hear neck injuries, you, you cringe. The you neck cringe. scares me, man. And I think yeah. they'll probably he'll they'll I'm sure they'll probably keep him off TV the next few weeks. And if he's yeah. ready, I'm sure he'll pop back up in the Rumble and get a good pop there and if, go out. If he's ready, because I if he's I ready, hear, I hear, I hear these are scary. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I've heard. I've heard these are pretty bad. Yeah. And then this is not something you can mess with. And the, another thing was Drew is you know the last couple years Drew has been. It, it's what happens when you're sort of the guy for a while. We saw it happen with D, with um, Ambrose now Moxley. We saw it happen with Seth. When you're the guy, and you know, so they weren't touring for a, a lot because there was a pandemic. But then they started touring again. And Drew is one of those people that wrestles at every house show, yep. every main event for 30 minutes at a house show, week in, week out, takes a ton of bumps. And when you do that and you're the top guy and you're that main event on all of those shows, your body's going to break down a little bit. Yep. You know, it's inevitable to take that many bumps over and over. We've seen it, it always seems like one of those guys who's towards the top and and they they show the stats. It's like. Dean wrestled the most matches last year Or Seth Rollins wrestled the most matches last year I think that helps Roman Reigns You know, he's not wrestling on TV every week Which is great From a presence thing He shouldn't, right? He feels like a star But Drew was wrestling every week on TV All the time 20-30 minute matches, you know All the time defending the title again In a tag here, doing this here So, um, you know Shout out to Drew. Hopefully he's doing okay now. I'd love to see him show back up in the Rumble. He is one of the baby faces that they actually did a pretty good job with. Like after he won the title, he still was over for a little while. And it was, it's really hard to kind of compare because that's during the COVID era. So I guess right. what do we know over was, right? There were right. no fans there to, to cheer, but right. it didn't seem like his run. It seemed like the the people who were watching the shows and stuff that he was always pretty well received. In his yeah. angles, in his segments, it wasn't like, uh, what are they drew in here with Drew? Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't. Um, it, it's weird. Like it wasn't like you said the go away heat that he had. You know, it wasn't the strange arc like with you know Roman, where if you go and you watch Survivor Series 2012, 
when he eliminates the last three guys and the place is going absolutely nuts for him. And a year later, everybody hates him. You know, th this guy goes over, he earns it, he gets to the point. Uh, and like we said, it's just unfortunate with the timing of it. And hopefully he gets another run, but you know, you get another run, but there's nothing like that first run, you know, no. and it's, uh, it's, and that was him. That was after yeah. he came back, went through NXT, made yep. his run back through NXT. Then he's back on the main roster. Like you yep. said, he did it the hard way. You know, he yep. went to TNA and the independent promotions and he was on the indies and he changed his character. He became this badass. Yep. He was a completely different character than he was in WWE the first time when he was the chosen one who was this young, fresh baby face looking, like young looking dude. But not a baby face in what he was, what he looked like. He looked like a baby right. face. And right. and then he's the 3MB guy and then he returns and he is this badass dude that you just... Really feel like could kick your ass And great he's great work with Sheamus The last couple of years anytime they get in the ring They do good stuff this was a good yeah. rumble DZ I'm glad you picked yeah. this one Yeah really it, good It was really good it was a lot of fun to rewatch This thing is four hours and it doesn't even really feel like it The show no. moves You know yeah, it's an easy watch It moves really quickly because of the two rumbles Because you're excited and everything that's happening there So Royal Rumble 2020 is in the books Remember if you are a Royal Rumble fan Darren and I did a re uh, we did a recap a few weeks ago of the Royal Rumble event. Every event from 1988 through 2021, we spent about five minutes on each show. It's not the deep dive quite like this, but it's really cool if you're someone who maybe hasn't watched wrestling as much over the last few years, or maybe you just want a little a little uh, you know reminder. Oh yeah, that was that year. Oh okay, I'm gonna go back and watch that Rumble, and we'll tell you some of the matches on the undercard, some of the as Darren uh, mentioned, you know, starts to hit on the Rumble moments that begin in 1990. It's Rumble season, so we had to have some Rumble talk. And uh, our boy Andrew Champagne, who wasn't able to join us this week, he does have the pick for our next show. And I don't remember the show off the top of my head, but he's convinced us that it's not one of the awful picks that he will okay. make to torture us. It is WCW Spring Stampede 1999. He said the four corners match for the title weird booking, but uh, there's a Goldberg Nash rematch that, from Starcade. Wait, is the uh, four is that is that uh, Sting, Hogan, Flair, and and Diamond Dallas Page? Is that it? Is that the one? I okay, think that's it. See. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. And I, think, and I think it's Goldberg and Nash, right? Yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, he said there's a Hoovy uh, Hoovy Blitzkrieg opener, a tag match there that's also of, good. Well, uh, of course, it's got a Hoventude Guerrero. Opener. He loves Hoovy. I mean, Andrew is. Andrew is the biggest Hoovy fan in the world. He, he really just, is. He just goes through WCW pay-per-views and he goes, oh, Hooven Tude Guerrero's in the he's opener? On like We're going to watch this show. He's on the cage match <laughs> database just going. We never realized that he's just going through Hoovy's career one match My at a time <laughs> throughout pay-per-views. So we're going to back to WCW for Spring Stampede. For some wrestling. 1999 for some wrestling there. And the next Old wrestling rewatch DZ I see you Kicking ass out there at Turfway Park We are recording this on January The 18th most people will probably hear it a few Days after like at the beginning of uh, in Early in the January 20s But I, I love that Turfway You know what they tried a couple things with The racing schedule they, they looked at some of the numbers And they said you know what let's make an adjustment And let's, let's change things up so they're going to go back to Running uh, again on the Thursday nights Which I think will really help their handle Oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. I think it's the right move. Uh, the Thursday night card, you know, there's not a ton of competition on Thursday nights. 
Um, the card just, I, I just think the card just carries more weight at night. It's a nighttime signal. Um, the racing, the racing's really good. I mean, you know, you, you talk about people wanting for things like field size and stuff like that. Fantastic. I mean, it's incredible the number of horses that tens, have. nines, all and, up yeah. and down. It's yeah. difficult, which is what we want as handicappers and gamblers. It's hard. So when you hit it, you feel rewarded and you're going to make a lot of money. And DZ is helping you out there over the last two years. He has watched that track as well as anyone out there. So if you're ever it's, playing, it's one of those play. tracks. It's one of those tracks that if you follow it very closely, you can pick up on certain things and it, it's extremely, and, and most tracks, you know, there are, there are angles to find and things like that, but Turfway, it's a little bit different. It's got its own little niche. You know, there's a big part of it that comes from shipping early on in the meet. And then you really got to follow the, the when you go through the season, there are days where you can't make wide sweeping moves and you got to note, you have to make a note of it when a horse comes back after making a wide move and, and flattening out. There's days that speed's really good. There's days that speed is terrible. And the it's synthetic obvious. is yeah. surfaces because of the weather. Yes. End up changing right dramatically. I remember out here with the ones that they would have with Del Mar and stuff and the cushion, how much that would change and get a little warm. And then you get the cloud cover and then it's completely different the way it yep. plays out. And so if you're not, Paying attention to that each time you watch a replay, you pull it up, you see a horse makes a move, flattens out a little bit, but you don't realize that was the day where it was tough to make that move. Yep. You know, yep. absolutely. And those are things that Darren has jotted down and is remembering. He's going to give you that information. DZ uh, doing great stuff over there with Twin Spires on the uh, the selections that are always posted. And if you give him a follow at the track seven, He'll, uh, hey, and if you beat. bet sports and you're a VIP, hit me up. Dude, we'll up with some what did you go, like 20 and 3 last week or something? That was, Yeah, it was pretty It was wild. nuts. That was incredible. It was pretty wild. It was, uh, I, I, it was one of those weeks where just everything that you thought could potentially happen just fell into. I mean, I, I, like I, I picked all six winners. It was, it was, I mean, it was, I mean, a lot of the nuts. favorites won, but you still had to pick. You had the to lines, pick Frisco, That's what the betting know. lines are for, right? Yeah, you, yeah you know. It's, 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 it's to make it harder. Uh, it, it, it was a crazy weekend and it's got me set up nicely in uh, some of those like, you know, playoff fantasies where you got to pick a roster and you got to keep the yeah. guys in it. And, you know, when you pick the six winners and you got all the guys moving on to the second round, it, it gets interesting. Everything doubles up. Yeah. You get to, yep. the points start to double and triple up and uh, yep. Yep. awesome stuff. So anytime you're paying attention there with uh, with Turfway, make sure to uh, to check out what DZ's got going. Uh, thorough crowd continues to roll along. You were talking about a new member of the family that you guys got. That uh, oh, you the Empire Maker Philly. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exciting, man. That's exciting. She's a new acquisition. She's yet to. Uh, she'll be a first time starter when she goes out for us, and uh, she's got some training that she needs to. Uh, you know, she needs to go through. She's pretty raw. She doesn't really know what she's doing yet, but she is a big, gorgeous looking daughter and she kind of looks like a grandmother to sod a little bit with the white blaze and uh you know that's that's certainly exciting and we'll see how it goes but uh we've never had a horse you know make her first lifetime start racing with our silks so uh that's really cool a, that's just a cool moment cool. like a cool feeling a cool for moment, you guys yeah. you know you're, a, yeah we're excited yeah. progressing you know progression progressing and uh, trust the process there 
We'll win a stake race in about 12 to 15 years. Exactly. I was going to say. We'll get there. I think uh, sooner than $60,000 listed race in Ohio somewhere. (laughs) But you know what? They're having fun. They're making money. They're doing right by the horses there at Thorough Crowd. Make sure to check them out because if you want to get involved, that's a great, great group of people that are just going to be honest with you. No one's going to try to rake you over the coals. It's not going to cost you a whole lot to get involved with. Uh, It's real ownership. It's not micro shares. Yeah. You come in for one, two, three, five, seven percent of the horse. It's it's you own you own a percentage of the horse just like we do. It's not like you're getting point zero three percent per share or anything like that. DZ helping us out here each week on the old wrestling rewatch. We'll be heading to WCW for Spring Stampede '99 coming up next. Uh, DZ, good luck, brother. I hope you have a great uh, great week, great weekend coming up. I mean, you you and I started recording this on Tuesday, and now it's into Wednesday for you. So th- I always appreciate you. Oh hang- wow, wow. The, say, count, the, the, the time turned over. Look at that. I was gonna say, I always appreciate you hanging out. Sometimes deep and late into the evenings, we've had a a blast. We're coming up on almost two years. Of these crazy man, because crazy. we started the whole reason we started this was because of the pandemic. Maybe because there was to, maybe 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 we're the reason. Maybe we have to stop doing it. So I was going to say <laughs> the the moment we just cut it out and then everything stopped. It's like the storm clears up. The the skies become sunny again. Nobody's we, shit talking. We thought we were going to be doing it for like two months. <laughs> it was like, oh it was like yeah, there's nothing else going. Maybe we'll do this for a little while. And wow, we're too. We're two years later and, and coming up on it. Can't thank you enough for all the uh, the hours and hours that you've uh, that you spent here with us, buddy. And good luck this weekend. It's always a blast chatting with you. And uh, we'll head to WCW. And hopefully Andrew isn't trying to, to to crush us with this one again. I don't really remember the show, so Me neither. I'm not sure. I remember that last match, but I don't remember the show in general. So I'm curious to see what it comes up as. I don't think it would be. Me neither. It would be, it would be a, a real lousy thing to do to bail on us tonight. And, and then, then give and then give stick us, a us with this. Yeah, yeah, it's like, dude, you're not here, and then you're jabbing us. No way. Come yeah. on. So we'll we'll head to WCW and we'll see what's in store there. Make sure to give DZ a follow uh, and check out all of his great content. But don't go anywhere, folks. We still have plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said. Ton of fun talking about a really good rumble there, 2020, and we are just days away from the 2022. Royal Rumble, and on the next episode of That's What She Said, we are going to have a ton of Royal Rumble content previewing that big event. I'll also do a, a full hosting sh- hosting of a show on BTV, Better Than Vegas, at BTV Bets with Summer Ray and Kurt Angle. That'll be a ton of fun, so make sure to check that out Saturday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, leading you up to the Royal Rumble, and it it's going to be a massive week with Sam Houston, with Golfstream, with the football game. So much to discuss right here on That's What G Said. The best way to uh, to get everything, content, because we've we'll, been doing a lot of live streams recently too. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. And anytime there's anything happening, I'll be sure to share it there. Have a great Tuesday and on into your week, folks. And we'll be back in just a few days with a lot more.